Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the special meeting of the Planning Commission for Tuesday, August 22nd. Madam Clerk, would you please take the roll? Chair Compton, we have a request from a Planning Commissioner to participate remotely under AB 2449 rules. Commissioner Logger Quest is participating under the Just Cause circumstance, which can only be used twice in a calendar year. Please note we will be using roll call votes for any items. And I apologize, I'm getting a feedback somewhere over here, so one moment. It's not, it's something over here, I believe. Test, test. Was that it? Test, test. I think I've got it. Thank you. Okay, very good. Thank you. Okay, let's continue with the roll call, please. Commissioner Abbey. Here. Commissioner Busa. Here. Commissioner Farley. Here. Commissioner McCarthy. Here. Commissioner Zucker? Here. Vice Chair Lagerquest? Here. Chair Comden? Here. And Vice Chair, um, because you're remote, we may ask you to speak up a little bit uh, so that everybody can hear you. Will do. Thanks. Okay. Much better. Thank you. Okay. Let's move into public communications. This is the time we set aside for members of the public to uh, make comments on items other than what's on the uh, regularly scheduled agenda. Madam Clerk, do we have speakers tonight? Chair Compton, we do have one public speaker, uh, Wendell, and I apologize, is it Little, Little Jadil? I, thank you. Thank you for allowing me to speak. Um, in case you hadn't heard, the public has uh, been pretty vocal about height, height restrictions in the developments that are being passed through uh, your, your process. I think it's very important that we continue to honor the, the, uh, the heritage of our city, and I think it's important that you listen to the uh, to the citizens who've spoken pretty adamantly against uh, uh, creating taller, bigger buildings. The, um, um, <clears throat> there apparently is some legislation coming down the pike, possibly, to turn the control back over to the city or to the local um, jurisdiction from the state mandates. And I think it's important to um, any projects that can be delayed should be delayed until there's an opportunity to potentially get the control of these issues back in local hands. 
So thank you. Thank you. That concludes our public speakers. All right, very good. Let's move on to the formal item for this evening, Project 230399, the General Plan Update, Draft Land Use Designations and Preferred Land Use Map. The goal tonight is for uh, us to hear from the community and to um, hear from staff, uh, deliberate and make recommendations that would be forwarded to City Council regarding the, the draft land use designations. Um, so let's move to staff presentation. You guys ready? Welcome. Thank you, Chair Comden, Planning Commissioners. Good evening. Uh, Netta Zayer, Interim Community Development Director. I'm joined this evening with uh, Matt Ramey of Ramey Associates, who is the consultant that's been contracted with the city to assist in the general plan update. We are excited to be here before you tonight to talk about the preferred land use map. Um, it has been a couple year process to get to this point, and um, we're happy to go through what the general plan advisory committee's recommendations have been up until this point and the public feedback and communication we've received about the land use changes. Uh, I'll be sharing the presentation with Matt Ramey tonight. And uh, just to, to start, it off, start us off, we're going to go over the outcomes and, and a rough agenda of how we will approach tonight's presentation. In general, we are hoping to receive a recommendation from the Planning Commission on the proposed land use map that we can then move forward and discuss with City Council, um, which would be the next step. We've scheduled this evening and tomorrow night to go through the discussions and the different areas with uh, an expectation to go to City Council on September 11th to have the same discussion with them. Uh, we'll go through a, the presentation, which will be an overview of the process that has led us to this point, then go through the draft land use designations that have been developed, and then area by area specific changes that have occurred by GPAC's recommendation and then the public's feedback on that. And then a, a discussion and deliberation with the Planning Commission with, with each of those areas. Uh, we'll open up a, uh, for questions after our presentation and then public comment and then move into the bulk of the discussion. Just to start with a quick background of the process and what has led us to this point. Um, again, starting with high level, what is the purpose of a general plan? General plan is a long-term policy document that guides all of the future actions uh, of the city. It's a overarching plan that has uh, a, a 20 to 30 year horizon that establishes a shared vision for the community that then aligns policies, goals, actions, and land use decisions to uh, meet that vision and that intent. Um, it's recommended that it's updated every, t every 10 to 15 years, which our last general plan was adopted in 2005, so we're right on uh, about track on that. It's intended to preserve and enhance the things that the community values and to strengthen those and address any areas or topics of concern um, that the, the community like, would like addressed or resolved in, in that time horizon. There's eight required elements. Uh, however, a city can opt to add additional elements and the required elements are listed on the screen, the land use map that we are discussing, discussing tonight is part of the land use element. 
So that the general process for the update um, has many steps. We are currently in the alternatives phase, moving into the policy development phase. From here, we would move into the general policies that surround the general plan, writing and drafting that plan, and then moving forward to um, adoption. We've uh, gone from discovery, visioning, to alternatives. It's taken us about three years for each of those steps. It took about a year in the visioning phase, and it's been about a, a year and a half to close to two years on the alternatives phase, just for a um, time indication of, of the process. The outreach that's been done to date for um, both the visioning and the, from the start and then the land use alternatives has been an extensive community outreach process. We've developed a website for the general plan that we've kept up to date with resources, materials, event calendar, and a robust email list from that um, that has over, of close to 90,000 subscribers at this point that we do email um, and update on regular activities and the um, updates on the general plan. We've done 18 community pop-up events advertise in local news outlets, uh, on the auto center billboard, through the newspapers and every avenue that we can, including uh, put direct mailers and water bills and utilities that have been uh, mailed out to over 42,000 residents. We've had 65 plus meetings that have included workshops, community council meetings, um, stakeholder interviews, discussions, or, or a public hearing to discuss the various topics of the general plan, educational forums. There's been a variety of different uh, opportunities for the, the community to hear about and provide feedback. And then we've done five different surveys or feedback forms that have garnered close to 8,000 respondents through those various surveys and responses. We've developed over 60 videos and reached out to over 200,000 people through our different social media platforms, through this, the city's platforms as well as the general plan. And then received thousands of public comments that we have read through, through the different surveys and outlets. All that to say, we have done a lot of engagement to try and um, garner the community's thoughts. Uh, again, here's a breakdown of that in more detail, and I won't go through the list, but the staff report did have a, a more detailed, extensive list of all of the engagement efforts to date that we've done through the rounds of um, iterations of the land use. With that, I'm going to turn it over to Matt, and he will continue on through the presentation. Good evening, Chair Comden, members of the Planning Commission. Um, it's nice to be here this evening. It's nice to have this as a milestone in the process because, um, as you all know, it is indeed a milestone to be here talking about a preferred land use map. Um, as we begin, um, I just want to take a minute and, and uh, thank you all for your time this evening and also, um, in particular, thank the General Plan Advisory Committee. Um, who has met over 20 times um, and more than a dozen times in the last year to go over land use. They've really put a lot of work into this and, um, and shared a lot of their thoughts and ideas, and, and it is because of them that we are here today. So I just want to um, give a big thank you to them for all of their hard work. 
Um, I'm going to um, start with um, the vision statement and then move through and um, try to provide a quick overview of all of the work that's happened really in the last year and a half on land use. Um, we can come back and answer any questions and go into detail um, for any topics that you would like us to. Um, we started our process after doing the existing conditions work. We started with the creation of a vision statement. Um, and this was one of the first real work products of the General Plan Advisory Committee. Um, the vision statement, the idea is to describe what the future of the city will look like. Um, it was developed through extensive engagement, um, reviewed and commented on multiple times by the General Plan Advisory Committee, and then endorsed by the City Council on March 28th of last year. Um, the vision really serves as the basis for both the land use alternatives, um, the preferred land use map, as well as the topic-specific goals and policies that will be coming later in the process. Um, it includes three components. It includes the vision statement, which is a brief uh, description of what the city aspires to be in the year 2050. It includes core values of the community, um, and it includes a series of strategies that provide specific benchmarks or actions for achieving the vision and the core values. Um, and the reason that I'm bringing this up and providing this as the context is because it really was important um, background information for us as we developed the alternatives, and I think it's important for all, for all of you to keep these in mind as you're thinking about the different, the preferred land use map. Um, some of this, the particular strategies relate directly to land use. Um, they're shown here, but they include strengthening the downtown, transforming commercial corridors, expanding the number and diversity of housing units, developing around transit, adding retail and services, um, and housing to East Ventura, and expanding employment uses. So again, this was um, developed in uh, consultation with the General Plan Advisory Committee and then endorsed by the City Council. Um, one of the real critical components to land use and the land use map is the term land use designations. And land use designations are different than the existing land use on the ground. The existing land use is what you see right now. And the land use designations define the future allowable type, distribution, and intensity of development on all parcels of land in the city. Um, it is really the cornerstone, the designations along with the land use map or land use diagram, it's really the cornerstone of the general plan. Um, it is what um, planners and the community tend to look to the most when they look at the general plan. And recent state law has reestablished the, um, the role of the general plan in all land use decisions in a community. Um, so one of the critical aspects of a land use designation is it establishes standards for density um, as well as um, for height. It's required for density, it's not required for height. Um, residential is measured in dwelling units per acre and non-residential is measured in floor area ratio. Um, the land use um, designations and the land use designation map must conform with the content and all of the other elements of the general plan. So there has to be consistency um, throughout the general plan document as well as between the general plan and all of the other implementation plans. This is called vertical and horizontal consistency in state law. The existing general plan um, has nine land use designations. The, this is from the 2005 general plan. Um, the concept in that general plan was to keep the land use designations pretty broad and allow zoning to implement those designations. 
to that end, the zoning, um, there's almost 50 zoning districts in the city, um, which is quite a number for a city this side, size. And zoning um, really implements the policy direction in the general plan through more specific development standards and guidelines. Um, it is required to be consistent with state law. Uh, sorry, it is required to be consistent with the general plan per state law. Um, and again, this has evolved since the 2005 general plan, where essentially at this point we're looking at closer to a one-to-one -one relationship um, between the general, in terms of density um, and use between general plan and zoning. So it's important to keep that in mind. Um, but we get to this um, question now of why did we actually need to create new land use designations? If the city already has zoning and if the city already has designations, why do we have to create new ones? Um, the first, as I've been alluding to, is that the existing land use regulations, general plan and zoning, are not consistent with state law or with legal precedent. And that actually can cause problems um, as development projects come forward. Um, the second is that the new land use designation map is needed to implement the vision and community feedback gathered through the engagement process. And the third is that the designation should provide more clarity and transparency on development decisions. Um, and um, thus it's important that the land use designations provide more, more detail to reflect the vision of the community. Based on all of this, we created proposed land use designations, new land use designations for the, the new general plan. There's five broad categories, residential, mixed use, commercial, employment, and then public and institutional. And within that, there are specific land use designations. The methodology that we took in order to create the land use designations and, um, and then create the land use designation map was relatively complex. Um, we started with the existing zoning districts, you know, the 50 plus zoning districts. And then we had to correlate, um, we, we put different districts that were very similar together that would work as general plan designations to allow the zoning to actually be a little bit more specific. And that's, that's allowed through state law. Um, for residential zoning, um, we essentially tried to make a one-to-one -one relationship between the zoning and the new, um, the new land use designations because we didn't want to do anything through the public process. We heard through the public process about the, the real desire and the value to preserve the residential neighborhoods, and so we really wanted to make sure it was a one-to-one -one correlation between that. Um, for the commercial zones, um, there were um, two, there, uh, there were a couple of zoning districts that really boiled down into two separate mixed use, um, mixed use districts. Um, C1 essentially is three stories and 45 feet of mixed use and C1A and C2 are essentially six stories of mixed use. Um, for the form-based zones, this was a little bit more confusing because the form-based zones um, actually don't have density, but they did have information on the building form. And so we looked at the downtown, midtown, and Victoria corridors um, and combined those um, like uh, zoning districts into land use designations. Um, for industrial, um, we started out by actually um, just sort of maintaining the M1 and M2 um, from zoning to create light industrial flex and then general industrial um, designations, but then we expanded those through the process um, to have a three-story and a six-story version of each of those. Um, there are coastal-specific 
um, land use designations to re reflect land use designations in the coastal zone, something we're not gonna get into much this evening, but there are specific land use designations that are needed for the local coastal program that needs to be approved by the California Coastal Commission. Um, and then there were also gaps that we identified in the land in the zoning and the general plan um, to create new land use designations. And those included a commercial designation that does not allow residential. Um, right now, the majority of your commercial zoning actually does allow residential. So we felt it was important to create a general plan designation that did for commercial that did not allow residential. We created a designation called neighborhood center, um, which is the concept is to preserve existing shopping centers as retail, but to allow some amount of housing on those sites and not just allow them to go completely residential because that is the trend. Um, and then we created more detailed public and institutional designations to reflect current conditions. Um, I'm not gonna go into all of these in detail, but you can see um, we had in the handout to, um, with the agenda packet, um, the land use designations and the descriptions. These were modified from when we first released them about a year ago um, in August with the land use alternatives. Um, and we have, uh, for residential, we have low density single family all the way up to four story multifamily. Um, for mixed use, we have mixed use three, four, five, and six. Um, the numbers three, four, five, and six refer to the maximum number of floors. We changed this from the previous public version where we had one through four, that was confusing. So we changed it to three through six. Um, we, there's also harbor and coastal mixed use, which is part of the coastal zone. For the non-residential designations, there's the commercial designation that I mentioned and the neighborhood center designation. And then there's two commercial zones, commercial tourist oriented and harbor commercial. Um, there's an office and R&D um, and a hospitals. Um, and then there's two industrial designations, as I mentioned. Um, I wanna apologize that the handout that we gave you with the land use designations had incorrect information. It had the light industrial flex for both the light industrial and the general industrial. So this is a corrected version that you see here. So apologies for that. The descriptions are still the same. Um, and then there's a range of public and institutional designations. Um, this resulted at, with all of that methodology in a draft-based land use designation map. And this is the map that the land use alternatives are then based off of. It's based off of the base and not the existing zoning or the existing general plan. Um, the next phase in the process was to, um, to create land use alternatives. Um, this is the very simple path and flow that got us from the beginning to where we are now. Um, again, there were multiple steps that really started, um, started really last um, in July of 2021 where we worked with the General Plan Advisory Committee to identify potential areas of change and areas of stability. We did community surveys. Um, we then created a map um, that was reviewed and approved by the General Plan Advisory Committee on what we called areas of discussion, which are areas where we wanted to talk about potential land use changes. Um, and then from there, the General Plan Advisory Committee developed ideas for the alternatives. The um, City Council provided direction on growth targets in July of 2022. We released the land use alternatives, developed and released them to the public in the summer of 2022, conducted engagement in the fall, and then starting in really in September 
of 2022 all the way through June 2023, we had 10 general plan advisory committee meetings to review the land use alternatives, to review the public feedback on the land use alternatives, and then to create the preferred land use map, which is what you have tonight. Um, after that, after that preferred map was out, we conducted more engagement, which is the feedback forums that you um, have this evening. And then here we are tonight um, at the Planning Commission meeting on August 22nd, and then tomorrow night um, if needed, and then we'll go to City Council on September 11th. Um, I had mentioned the areas of discussion previously, and these are the areas that the General Plan Advisory Committee, based on feedback from the community, identified as potential areas where there could be land use changes. And, and this is the map that you see here. Um, this represents about 27% of the area of the city and the sphere of influence as a whole. Um, there's a couple of pieces to keep in mind as we're thinking about um, changing land uses and land use, um, and land use alternatives in the preferred land use map. The first is that um, the general plan must follow all state laws. And there has been a, there's been lots of comments about why can't we lower the height of buildings, knowing that there might be a state density bonus, why can't we downzone the whole city, why can't we do certain things, and we just have to be consistent with state law at this point. And yes, state law may change, it changes in the past, it'll change in the future, but we're here right now, and we have to be consistent with the, the state laws that are on the books right now. Um, one of the important um, state laws to keep in mind is what's called SB 330. And there's a couple of important pieces with this. Um, one is that it says that you can have no net loss in residential capacity when you are making land use changes in the city. That is not to say that, you, that we can't downzone. You can downzone certain areas, but that means you have to increase the capacity in other areas. So you have to do this mathematical balancing. So if you lower it in some areas in terms of density, and this is only residential, not commercial, but if you lower the capacity in some areas, you have to raise it in other areas. And so we just have to have a net balance of um, residential capacity in the city. Um, we also can't have any growth moratoriums, we, and you can't have any voter approval of general plan changes or other restrictions on housing. Um, one of the other um, state laws that must be followed is regarding the state density bonus. The land use designation uh, numbers that I showed do not include a state density bonus. Um, this is a bonus that, um, that projects can take advantage of if they build affordable housing. Um, and the state says that you cannot actually lower your land use designations um, in terms of height or density in order to get back up to where you might want to be as a community um, with the density bonus. So the density bonus has to be on top of what you as the community want, um, and that is, um, that is from state law. Um, the other aspect that was important for the land use alternatives um, and to, to just keep in your mind for the, the GPAC preferred um, is the concept of proposed capacity for the general plan update. Um, this is really for planning purposes. This is not a policy statement, but um, the city council unanimously endorsed um, last July, um, uh, July 11th, 2022, um, growth targets for us to shoot for, for the alternatives. And that was essentially two to three times the arena, um, which is 10,600 to 15,900 new units, about a 1% growth rate per year. Um, and then maintaining the current jobs housing average, um, jobs housing um, relationship in the city, and that would result in between 14,700 and 22,000 new jobs in the city. 
And again, this is not something that was, is required. It's not something that's in state law, but it was a target as we were thinking about um, the alternatives. Um, and you, know, you will see that um, we're, the GPAC preferred doesn't hit this target. Um, and then the Planning Commission and the Council can decide what to do with that information. Um, we then um, last summer created three land use alternatives, and these are really ways to discuss how the physical form of the city can evolve over time and to implement the strategies and growth targets endorsed by the City Council. Um, these are not, were not intended to be a, one of them is the preferred or selected, as we said at the time, and it was really meant to spark a conversation about the future of the city, um, and that it did. Um, the final land use map, as I said at the first um, release of the land use alternatives, will likely be a combination of the ideas from the different, um, different land use alternatives that were created. The final preferred will be a combination, um, and it will likely come from new ideas that were generated during the process, and, and that is indeed what happened with the General Plan Advisory Committee. Once the alternatives were out, there was significant engagement, um, two workshops, 11 pop-up workshops, three office hours, um, meetings with um, all community councils, and then 11 individual online surveys with over 2,000 responses. So there was a lot of information and a lot of feedback that was given to us as the general plan team and to the general plan advisory committee. This led into a series of 10 general plan advisory committee meetings meetings starting in September of 2022. Um, but really, the, the real key work from the General Plan Advisory Committee happened starting February 21st, 2023, all the way through June 6th, 2023. And that was the area by area, and it's sometimes parcel by parcel discussion about what the preferred land use would be. Um, the result of that was a, a consensus GPAC land use map. Um, and consensus for terms of this was that um, two-thirds or more of the GPAC members were in agreement with the proposed direction. Um, where there were dissenting ideas uh, and differences of opinion, there wasn't a clear direction. So it wasn't that uh, two-thirds wanted one thing, one-third wanted another. Necessarily, there were lots of different ideas coming forward. Um, there were um, the overall development capacity that came out of this was only slightly higher than the base. So there was a marginal, I'll get, go through the numbers later in the presentation, a marginal increase in, um, in overall residential capacity. There were lots of policy ideas um, that were created and identified by the General Plan Advisory Committee that we have taken note of. And then there were some changes that we made to the land use designation to meet the GPAC's vision and ideas. We then um, had the public feedback forums, which you have in your packets, which were open from June 30th until August um, 2nd. We had two feedback forums, and we didn't want to call them surveys because they were really just broad feedback is what we were seeking. Um, there was a high-level uh, feedback forum, which is the vision for the, each different area of the city as well as some citywide policy. There were over 800 responses to that. And then a detailed survey for those who wanted to provide detailed input on land uses at the parcel level. There were about 375 responses to that survey. Um, next, we're gonna go through, um, again, pretty quickly, the areas of discussion. And we'll, we'll circle back to these when we start talking about each of them. Um, so I, I won't go into detail on any of them. I'm assuming that, um, that you all, um, the planning commissioners, have all read the materials and looked at the materials um, and that the public has as well. Um, as we're going through the maps, I want to point out a couple of things. 
First is that we are only focused on the areas of discussion. Um, we are not focusing on any of the areas outside of the areas of discussion. Those areas are generally remaining the same. There may be some minor tweaks to those areas, but they're generally remaining the same. The maps that you're going to see reflect the proposed land use designations from the GPAC. They do not reflect the base land use designations. However, we, are going to, we describe in the call-out boxes what the base land use designation is. So again, remember, we created a base from the zoning and the existing general plan, a base land use map, and then the land use changes were to that base. And the, um, the map shows the proposed land use designation with the changes in the call-out boxes. Um, and then for each of the areas where there was uh, any question, any proposed land use change from the general plan advisory committee, um, those were highlighted um, and then those were asked to the public in the feedback forms about whether they agreed, whether the public agreed with the direction that the general plan advisory committee was going. Um, for ease of our conversation this evening, we have color coded those responses from the public for agreement with the general plan advisory committee. So if you see a green box, it means that there's 60 plus percent agreement between the general plan advisory committee and the public. In other words, there's pretty, you know, pretty clear agreement there. Um, where there's yellow, there's a, um, still agreement, but less agreement. That's either less than 60 percent and then also where the majority um, ag agreed um, rather than disagreed. So at times it's less than 50%, but more people agreed with a direction. And so that's where there's yellow, and the red is where there's discrepancy between the GPAC and the public input. And um, you all also received uh, a land use changes table. Um, I believe this is also available online as well for the public. This is just a guide. Um, and it's also color-coded in the same way, so you can visually see where there was agreement, um, or agreement, or less agreement. I'm trying to help you out with your conversation this evening. Um, so just starting out really quickly, the SOAR areas um, that you see here um, highlighted in green, um, there was a, a lot of public feedback about even including these. The recommendation um, agreement from the GPAC and the public was there should be no change to these areas. Um, for the downtown, Downtown is generally um, remaining the same as current zoning, which is in the downtown specific plan. The GPAC recommended a change to the um, Mission Plaza Shopping Center to um, reduce it from mixed use four to neighborhood center. Um, and again, the neighborhood center is designed to maintain the current retail uses but allow some housing. Um, and there was general agreement with the direction from um, between the public and the general plan advisory committee. Um, on the west side, there were quite a number of changes, um, the majority of which were actually um, fell into three categories. Um, one was reducing um, the heights and densities in um, especially along Ventura Avenue and along Olive. Um, and you see that in areas one, two, five, six, and seven. Uh, there, were recommend, there was a recommendation to um, create a retail area at the intersection with Stanley, and that's what you see at number three in red. And then there were two, there are two Ventura Unified School District sites that you see in four and eight. Um, four is a change to mixed use four, and eight is a change to mixed use three. Um, there was a, um, an oversight in the staff report, and so the information on this slide is correct. 
Um, for the Midtown Corridors, the General Plan Advisory Committee recommended um, that the area um, uh, from um, east on, on Main and Thompson, east of Jordan Avenue, um, all the way to the end of this area should be changed from mixed use three, which allows three stories, to mixed use four, which allows four stories, um, and the public um, did not agree with the General Plan Advisory Committee's direction on this area. Um, in the um, five-point specific view mall area, um, there was agreement that the um, area around the hospitals should change to commercial from mixed use three in order to um, try to prohibit residential uses in that area and preserve that as a hospital and healthcare district. Um, and then there was not agreement with changes on main um, and on telegraph uh, and adjacent to the mall in order to increase the um, heights and density in those areas. So there was not agreement from the public on any of these increases. Um, in Arundel and North Bank, um, there was um, a proposed change um, there to um, eliminate the mixed use, which um, is this area one, and so there was agreement that that should happen. There was general agreement that the McGrath property and the areas to the east should be changed to office and research and development. Um, uses from agriculture and general industrial. Um, and then um, overall in the, the high level survey, there was a statement about changing um, these areas, the majority of these areas to six stories from three stories. The, the dark gray already allows six stories um, in the current um, zoning, but it's really the dark gray areas. And um, there was a little bit more um, disagreement with that direction than agreement with that direction between the public and the GPAC. Um, on the east side, there was general agreement that the shopping centers should change from um, change to neighborhood center from um, mixed use six, which is six stories, again, preserving the retail use as well, allowing some residential, and that the large agricultural parcel, which is currently outside of the city limits now, um, should change from neighborhood center um, to, from, to neighborhood center from mixed use three. Um, for the college area, um, there was mixed agreement between what the General Plan Advisory Committee came up with and the public feedback. Um, the Victoria Plaza Shopping Center, there was agreement to change that to Neighborhood Center um, from Mixed Use 6, and there was agreement um, for the parcels at Telegraph and Day Road that um, are, were single-family, neighborhood low, to change those to three-story multifamily to allow some more residential around the college. Um, there was um, uh, agreement, general agreement that on the south side, the parcels should change from three-story multifamily and neighborhood low to mixed use three. And then um, uh, along Ashwood, there was not agreement with the proposed change from mixed use three to mixed use five. Um, along Victoria, um, again, there was mixed feedback between the General Plan Advisory Committee and the public. Um, there was agreement that the Moon Drive overlay should change from six stories, mixed use six to mixed use three, and that the Gateway Shopping Center should change from commercial to allow some residential um, in, uh, with neighborhood center. Um, there was um, not agreement with the proposed changes um, to the east and south of the government center to change those to four-story multifamily and mixed-use four to allow more residential in this area. 
um, and there was um, agreement, but not overwhelming agreement, that Area 3, which is at the corner of Victoria and Telephone, should be changed to mixed use 6 from office and R&D, um, and the change was proposed in order to match the current, um, the, the existing uh, zoning along Victoria um, Avenue. Um, in the Johnson area, there was, again, mixed agreement. Um, there was agreement that the um, Johnson Drive parcels that you see outlined here with number one um, should change from commercial to mixed use four. Um, there was not agreement that area two should become a transit-oriented dis district at mixed use four from general industrial um, or that the um, area number three should become mixed use three from commercial. Um, in Pierpont, um, a couple of points here. Um, one is that Marina Village Shopping Center, which was really the only area that was um, proposed for, uh, for changes from the GPAC, uh, that was proposed to go to Neighborhood Center, um, four stories from mixed use three or three stories. The community um, did not um, agree with that change. There is a parcel, which is the former fruit packing plant. Um, this is one that was discussed multiple times by the GPAC and the public, um, but the city council is currently addressing this parcel, so we went with the city council direction, which was four-story multifamily. Um, and then there was a change to the city-owned parcel that you see um, here um, outlined in, um, in black that was changed from light industrial flex to commercial to match the adjacent parcel um, and try and reduce some of the potential impacts of light industrial in the area. There were also a series of citywide policy questions that were asked, um, and th they're here on the screen. I'm not going to go through them all, but, but there was overall pretty strong agreement between um, the GPAC's direction and the public's um, agreement with that direction. There are a few other areas um, just to point out and talk about tonight so that we make sure that we're touching on them. Um, for citywide, outside of the areas of discussion, outside of the actual changes, the specific changes, um, the idea is to maintain the base land use designations. Um, as I said, as we're going through, because it was a process of, of taking zoning and general plan and putting them together to create the proposed land use designations and the land use designation map, that means there might be a little bit of tweaking of those as we go forward. We may have made some mistakes in there on individual parcels, but we really aren't talking about any major changes in those areas, so we're not going to talk about them tonight. Um, the harbor... Um, the port board recommended um, changing um, parcel to allow mixed use. That's one of multiple public comments that came up that can be discussed um, this evening. And then there's two county areas, North Avenue and, and Satikoy. Um, those were, there were questions multiple times at the general plan advisory committee meetings, but the recommendation is that we maintain parallel designations to the county. The county has done um, has done planning in those areas, so the idea is to maintain them now for what the county has done, and then if in the future they're going to be annexed to go through the pre-zoning process and to do visioning for those areas. Um, so I want to go through some of the conclusions and results, and, and some of this information is new um, here, so um, bear, bear with me with this. The maps, um, there's a series of maps that we're going to show which address some of the issues that we heard from the public throughout the process. Um, one of those is the concept of six stories. 
And you know, when we started creating the alternatives, um, people were surprised that six stories were currently allowed in the city because there aren't a lot of six story buildings. But the reality is that the zoning code allowed six stories in, in lots of different locations. Um, but the GPAC and, and we heard through the process that there's a concern about six stories. Um, so what this is is these maps are showing only the areas in the areas of discussion which are outlined in purple um, and the base um, in red is the six-story where six-story buildings are allowed in the base so you can see the distribution of these six-story buildings um, throughout the city um, this is the gpac proposed version and it's pretty clear that the gpac um, essentially tried to consolidate where those areas were um, move them out of um, out of the west side, move them out of distrib being distributed throughout the city near residential neighborhoods, and really try and focus them south of 101 and in a couple of, of uh, corridors. Um, there, this is the map that shows where there are changes in six-story buildings. The blue are the areas that were six stories in the base but are no longer six stories, and the orangey-yellow uh, mustard color is where there are newly added six-story buildings. And what you can see here in this map is that the six-story buildings, um, with a couple of exceptions, are all added south of 101 in Arundel and North Bank. Um, so again, this is a pretty clear um, change looking overall in the, in the physical form of the city. Um, we also looked at changes in building heights going from um, you know, plus uh, minus three stories to plus six stories where there's agriculture, which is the McGrath property. Um, but you can see here that anywhere in red, um, red and orange is where there is a decrease in the heights of buildings. And anywhere there is the yellow or the blue is where there is an increase um, in the height limits. And again, we see that same pattern which is the decreases throughout the whole city and the increases really in limited areas, mostly south of 101. Um, we also looked at, at potential land use designation changes. And this is the map overall after all of the process of where there are proposed land use designation changes in the city. Um, and again, it's relatively limited and you see a lot of changes on the west side and you see a lot along 101 on either side of the freeway. Um, these are, this map shows the, the changes in density for residential uses, um, and actually non-residential, but the change in um, capacity on parcels. And so if it's, if it's red, it's a decrease in residential capacity. If it's a green, it's an increase in residential capacity. And if it's blue, there is no change in residential capacity. So here we can see the overall pattern of where there was increase in residential capacity and decrease in residential capacity. Um, we then did a little bit of numeric analysis of this information. And um, as I mentioned previously, the areas of discussion only accounted for 27% of the city and the sphere of influence area. So we started essentially with the, um, with the idea that 70, um, you know, 70 plus percent, 73% of the city was not going to have any land use changes at all. It wasn't even going to be discussed. Um, we looked at the six-story buildings for the areas of discussion only, and overall there's a decrease of 85 acres um, in the GPAC preferred land use map for, um, compared to the base. Um, the, um, the base has 8% uh, has um, of the area um, in the, the entire city and sphere of influence, 
uh, is six stories, and in the GPAC preferred, it's 7% of the city. So that percentage went down. Um, in terms of residential capacity change for the areas of discussion, um, there were 229 acres that were proposed for an increase, which is 1.7% of the total area of the city and sphere of influence combined. There were 121 acres proposed for a decrease um, of or 0.9% of the city and sphere of influence as a whole. Um, and then overall, when we looked at, at all of the changes, the net change between this, if you built every parcel out to its maximum density, um, which we know doesn't happen, that means every parcel redevelops and every parcel redevelops to its maximum density, there would be a total of 1,800 additional units, which is 1% um, or less than the total capacity of the city. So overall, the changes that were proposed by the GPAC are relatively small. Um, that is not to take away from concerns that we know that residents have about changes near them. Um, but overall, um, it is relatively small, and these numbers are not um, anywhere reflecting the, the uh, proposed target from the city council um, that was endorsed. And again, that was a target. It doesn't have to be met. There's no law about that. Um, but this is, um, this is where we are at this point with this information. And I hope that these maps and data help pr provide a little bit of perspective. Um, before we move into the discussion, we want to provide a little bit of information on next steps of where we're going with the project. Um, so September 11th is the city council meeting. Um, and, and tomorrow night, we have the additional planning commission meeting. Um, after that, our team is going to be working on a number of items, um, including growth projections based on the preferred land use map, um, and then policy direction. And that's, we've started on the policy direction based on the thousands and thousands of pages of comments from the public. Um, and then um, we're gonna continue that into the fall. Um, it's really important that we get a stable land use designation map because that is going to be critical for us to initiate the local coastal program with the Coastal Commission, which is gonna take some time, and also to initiate the environmental impact report, because a lot is based on that land use map. We're hoping to have a public draft of the general plan in winter, probably late winter of 2024, and a public draft of the EIR just after that in winter and spring, with the goal of having adoption hearings next summer. Um, for the discussion, I will say you all have your work cut out for you this evening and tomorrow night. There is a lot of information, but there's a lot that's already been done. Um, our recommendation for the proposed flow, and, um, and uh, Chair Comden, you, you and your group can take this or not. You, it's only advice. Um, you, our recommendation is that we start um, with, when, when you're talking, we start with overall um, comments, thoughts, and ideas. Big picture. Um, of where these alternative, where this preferred alternative ended up. Um, after that, we go into an area, area by area discussion. And as you saw, there, there are a lot of places where there's agreement between the public and the GPAC. And you might want to start with those areas. And if there's agreement with, between the Planning Commission, that may be a decision. Um, there are areas where there's different views about land use changes between the public and the GPAC. You can decide to agree with the public, you can decide to agree with the GPAC, or you can come up with your own ideas for those areas. And you actually, areas where there's agreement, you can still come up with your own ideas. Um, and then after those areas are discussed, there may be changes um, to other areas within the areas of discussion that were not proposed by cha as changes by the GPAC, and therefore not 
um, voted on by the public, provide you know, worth feedback from the public, but you all may want to come up with recommendations for different areas, and that's okay. Um, then at the end, you can have, I would recommend this sort of a citywide discussion if there's other areas outside of the areas of discussion that you want to talk about, such as the sphere of influence or anything from the many public comments that have come in for changes that are not included in the areas of discussion. Um, I want to um, thank you for your time. Thank you all for um, the effort that you all are putting into this and will put into this. Um, Ned and I are here to answer any questions and to be a resource, um, but we feel at this point it is really in the Planning Commission's hands and then the City Council's hands. You have a lot of information. There's a lot of data. We can help provide input on what that data, what's happened and what that data is, but then I really think we should turn it over to you um, Mr. Comden and your your colleagues to figure out next steps with this. Okay, so thank you, thank Mr. You. Remy. Questions for staff? Yes, Commissioner Abbey. Thank you, Netta, and thank you, Matt, for your presentation and a ton of work that's gone into all of this through, by the GPAC and and staff. So we thank you for all your work and your effort. It's not an easy job. Um, I on the. Um, Area maps, uh, for example, Victoria, Johnson, college area, uh, they were color-coded in the boxes in the uh, last um, uh, item that came in after 5 o'clock today from staff. So it was the last item that showed up around, I don't know, 5.30, 5.40 today. And uh, for example, so in college area, it says area three in red, area west of Ventura City, Ventura College. It's in red, so I'm assuming that that means that was not recommended after the survey results came back. That, that is, so what that is saying, um, so if there's red, it means that there is not agreement between what the GPAC recommended and, what the, and the public's feedback. Um, and then the number that you see in that box represents the combination of strongly agree and agree. That's what that percentage is. Okay. Um, and then for section four under college area, I'm just, I'm not trying to pick on the college area, I'm just using it as an example. Uh, parcels on south side of Telegraph are in yellow, so that means there wasn't full agreement, you didn't get 60% positive, you didn't have more, 10% more yeses than noes, and so that sort of saying it's not strongly recommended like a green would, but this call find, uh, lands somewhere in the middle, is that correct? Yeah, I mean, so again, you know, some of them, as, as you'll look through here, um, if you actually go down to Victoria, you'll see that the sort of parcel at the corridor of Victorian Telegraph Area 3 was 59.21%. We use 60% as the cutoff. Some people would say that's 59%. That's pretty, that's a lot of agreement. So you should keep it. Again, we wanted to be transparent and have a little bit of, um, of uh, color coding to help you out here. The one that you recommended, um, which is number four um, in the college area, that one had more agreement than disagree. So there were more people who said in the feedback forms that there would, um, that there was either strongly agree or agree than there were strongly disagree or disagree. And so it was a, um, a, a larger number. It's not a majority, and so we wanted to call it out that it's leaning 
towards yes, it's leaning towards agreement, but it's not the same strength of agreement. Can I add a question on the difference between high-level questions and low-level questions? Uh, on the handout that, uh, that looks like this, um, were those, it says public response and feedback forms. So the first one was SOAR, high-level direction. So that was pretty clear-cut, 86% said uh, yes, leave SOAR alone. And, and then going down to number one on that same page one, Vaughn's Mission Plaza Shopping Center, 58.93%. Now, was, is that number 58.93% from the, the high-level survey? Or that's from the detailed. The level? So that's from the detail. Okay. Um. Anywhere where there's a number next to it, you know, if you if you look at the the actual, so we also provided you um, with the feedback form results, and so the numbers sort of correspond to the area in those in those feedback form results as well. Okay. So what to, we we tried to actually just make it a little bit easier for you to not have to look through hundreds of pages. Can I just interject? Uh, interject. We're we're looking at the summary table of responses. Is that what we're? It's, it's a. General plan update, private land use designations, and preferred land use. But again, yeah, these are these are the. This was our attempt to compile the information and put it all in a single table, so it's easier for you to yeah. look at and see where what those numbers are and where the agreement is, or where there's more agreement and less agreement. And what did you do in the case where high level came out one color and the detail subsection for for something turned up? red well we just put it in one in green and one in red in this table okay so all right um i have a number of other questions but i don't want to dominate so i'll pass for now okay commissioners i'm going to ask you use your request to speak buttons so that we can put people in queue and i don't force you to have to use sign language here i don't see anyone requesting time to speak yet Um, you have to hit that. Madam Clerk, is this working? The system? Okay, yeah. You're, he's, Does he's, everyone he's see a request? Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. Um, maybe because I'm not the... Okay, let's use uh, hand signaling here. Who would like to go next? Commissioner Zucker, please. Thank you, Chair. Um, I have I have two two questions, um, and just you know, thank you also to to everyone who put a ton of work into this. I mean, the the, the staff, you know, uh, the consultants with Ramey and and all of the public and and the GPAC members. Um, uh, two questions, uh, you know, more on the kind of commercial and industrial side. Um, the first is about the McGrath uh, farmland property in the Arendelle neighborhood. Um, you know, just just curious, kind of some of the um, some of the thinking around that that property. Um, you know, there's so much discussion around the the kind of death of office space, and you know, with with uh, you know folks folks increasingly working from home, and and um, yeah, curious. You know. Um, yeah, what might drive us to think we want to want to increase office space, and and in, in part, I'm 
I'm thinking that there's also so few pieces of land that don't have any residential nearby, you know, that, that may be really valuable to be, be some of the industrial space. I mean, you know, uh, this is related to my, my second question, but, um, yeah, we've got a lot of industrial in this, in this city that's near homes, and, you know, there's been lots of discussion around could we move some of the, you know, heavy industrial uses or, or kind of more, you know, toxic or polluting uses away from homes, and it seems like a place like that is, is kind of the ideal spot to have, have uses that people don't want near their homes, right? Um, and, and so changing it from, from kind of a general industrial towards office, yeah, to me, yeah, doesn't, doesn't make a lot of sense, but here's just what, what the thinking was from the GPAC. Well, the thinking should probably come from the GPAC um, because it was ultimately their recommendation on this. Um, very broadly, I will say the um, the demise of office is greatly exaggerated, um, and uh, there is still a lot of demand for certain types of office space um, that we see all throughout the country and all throughout the state. Um, that said, um, I think it's really up to this body. If you want to recommend something else, if you think that that is not the right direction, then it's um, up to this body to recommend. The and just to add on to that the. Draft land use designation for our office on R&D um, is defined in that handout with the draft designations. The R&D does allow for office uses, employment centers, as well as all of the uses that are allowed in the light and industrial flex zone. So it's intended to be a hybrid area that allows light industrial as well as office. Um, and the intent of that designation was kind of a employment-based type of uses, whatever that range looks like, from light industrial to office space. Um, so my, my second question is just related to uh, the, the kind of general industrial um, and, and around some of the, the, the conflicts, and especially you know, in, uh, you know, in my neighborhood on the west side um, around yeah, um, incompatible land uses between between heavy industrial and and residential, and so um, you know I see in the general industrial uh, designation kind of descriptions of you know toxic, hazardous, or explosive materials being produced here. This is the the place where you put the you know the nasty stuff, right? Um, and and it says that new uses should be located away from residential areas, and new residential uses should not be allowed nearby, which I think is really wise, um, you know. But but it there is a lot of that heavy industrial or general industrial that, that is, you know, right next to homes. And so I, I wonder if it would be more consistent to, to actually change some of the, the general industrial zoning to light industrial when it is next to a home, if we're saying, you know, and, and that wouldn't, my understanding of, of zoning is that wouldn't require existing companies that are there to move or change, but it would prevent new, you know, uses, uh, you know, from being built there that might be, you know, not allowed under the light industrial and be, be more the heavy. Um, you know, just maybe, and maybe I'm missing, you know, that there's, maybe there's a precision to that definition of what nearby means or, you know, um, but yeah, would would love kind of clarity on, on that because it seems a little inconsistent. Yeah, so I'm, I'm gonna, um, apologies, I mean no disrespect with this, but I'm gonna sound a little bit like a broken record because this is what the GPAC um, came to um, as their recommendation. Um, we have two GPAC members who could probably weigh in a little bit on that. Um, but throughout the public discussion, um, and I guess a little context and, and at least from insight from where I'm sitting, 
um, there was a lot of discussion at the GPAC about this. There was a lot of discussion in the public. And, and there was, a, you know, it's, as you know, it's not such a simple issue out there because there are some concerns um, about um, the health impacts. Um, there's probably, uh, you know, definitely a few uses, but there's concern about the health impacts. Um, but there were also concerns about not harming the small local businesses that employ a lot of the residents um, and that some of whom are where the businesses are owned by local residents. Um, and so I think that was the tension and that was the conversation that happened. Um, and this is the direction where it ended up. And again, to, to be a broken record, this body has the ability to recommend something different. And that is what you're here for. So if, if you all feel that it should be different, um, I would encourage you to recommend that it be different. And that goes not just for this area, but, but any area in the city, because that, that is your role this evening. Okay, um, let me set the table here. Um, there are seven of us on the commission. Uh, two of us have been participatory in the two plus year process of over 27 meetings, uh, Commission Riccardi and myself. The other five have not uh, participated as much or at all, and this really is their first super deep dive on all of this. So you'll hear a lot of questions that um, those of you that have been attending and commenting uh, may know the answers to, but uh, five of the commissioners here, this is brand new to. So we're going to let them catch up in whatever way uh, they, they feel that they need to, to give informed decisions uh, and uh, comments moving forward. Um, I'd also like to just recommend, um, Vice Chair, if you would like to jump in at any time, just um, send a signal or speak up so that we don't miss you. Um, and with that, I'd like to uh, now ask Commissioner Busa to move forward. Thank you, Chair. Um, I, in several of the, the maps where we see potentially upzoning uh, along some main corridors, which as I, as I understand from the presentation is, is part of the goals uh, of the map, um, um, particularly like if I give an example of over by the, um, I'm gonna, uh, gosh, uh, the government center was one, um, and then in the main corridor. To address maybe potential concerns of where we're going from you know, an increased density next to adjacent to some residential, could you just, is there opportunities or potential around some policy considerations of buffering or how we kind of do a step down? What is that? What does that look like? That potential. Oh, thank you, Netta. Netta went right to the slide that I was thinking. So there was a lot of conversation. Um, at the GPAC about this. And, and again, I encourage the GPAC members to chime in. But, you, you know, everywhere, it, we ended up with essentially, the group ended up with a, with a blanket recommendation, which is that where um, there are taller buildings next to single family and lower height residential, that there be um, step downs to those areas and setbacks. Those would be determined through the zoning code um, and um, but there was strong there was strong agreement from the general plan advisory committee that this happened I think we we kept bringing it up we're like remember we're, this is the policy recommendation and you see here in question 14 um, require new developments to quote taper down building heights or reduce building height when the project is immediately adjacent to single-family homes and the public you know, agreed 90.3 percent so there's really strong agreement with that and that is something that will um, we'll go into the general plan as a policy um, and then we'll get reflected through zoning as well. Thank you. Yeah, uh, just to chime in, uh, two of those areas, one on mills, um, there's homes directly behind those buildings uh, and on, in the Victoria corridor, 
So this was uh, an item of discussion, and we all, as you can see, 90% of the people agreed that this should be a consideration moving forward. Other questions? Commissioner Abbey. I wanted to piggyback on that taper down uh, question 14. Um, there's two different ways, well, there's more than two ways, but there's two main ways. One is to taper, if you have one building, let's say, let's take an extreme. Let's take a six-story building next to a, a single-family residential home. And uh, so with the overlays that we did on Johnson Drive that had to go to city council on a fast track, um, there was, the idea was that there would be three stories and then it's starting at the fourth above three stories, the next two uh, uh, levels, so fourth and fifth floor would go back together 15 feet. And then above fifth floor, the sixth floor would go back 15 feet. It, do I have the general idea correct? Okay, so that's a yes. Um, that's one way to do it is to have the, all the tapering occur in one building. The other way to do it is to have a taper zone where the, that would be if there were more than one parcel deep. Uh, there's a number of corridors here, Thompson, Main Street, Victoria, and so forth, where it is only one parcel depth, and then you have single family residential right behind them, so it makes it very difficult to have it tapers from a six-story to a four-story zone to a three to a, a residential. But that would be another method uh, of doing it. Um, okay, let's see. Um, I was reading in the packet regarding industrial. So there's M1, three-story and six-story, and M2, three-story and six-story. And there was some mention of reserving the six-story industrial for parcels south of the 101 freeway. So is that entirely correct, mostly correct? Or did I get that wrong? I believe it is entirely correct. It's the, the six-story is what you see here um, in the hatching. Um, and that hatch, I believe, does not show up um, anywhere else in the city. So if it's outside of this area, it's three stories. Okay. All right. Um, that's it for now. Thank you. Other questions for staff? Vice Chair, any questions? Actually, yes, thank you, Chair Comden. Um, I have two questions at this time. One is, can you walk through, so just kind of briefly explain how the zoning requirements will be implemented. So you said there was a one-to-one -one relationship between the land use designations and zoning. So does that mean the zoning will not change or is the zoning requirements, are they going to change? I, I just, if you could, just talk through that really quick so I can understand how that's going to work with the new land use designations. Um, Ned and I were just battling on who was going to answer that question. Um, you know, the, <laughs> the, um, the typical process that, which is what I believe we're doing here, is 
when you're creating the uh, proposed general plan and a new general plan, you start with what your existing regulations are. You then go through the process and you modify those regulations um, in the land use designations, and then you have to go back and you have to look at zoning again. So there is going to be a need to relook at zoning after the general plan. That said, um, there's a lot of zoning that is in place that should probably remain in place. A case in point is the downtown and the downtown specific plan. Um, the downtown specific plan has, um, for each of the zones, it has a maximum number of floors, but the top floor only allows a certain percentage of that floor to be built. Um, and that's something that would um, stay and can still stay with these proposed land use designations. Um, and so there's going to be a process after the general plan of looking at the zoning again, and there may be some new districts that are needed, and they're, um, they're in some areas, and there may not be really any changes needed in other areas. Um, so that process is to be determined. Um, one of the challenges, and, and I will, I'll say this, that one of the challenges that the existing general plan has and why it's important that it change um, is because for the residential areas where residential is allowed, um, particularly in the, um, well, where residential is allowed, there's, there tends to be a broad range of densities that are allowed. And we used to be able to, in planning and in planning law, we used to be able to actually nest and create multiple zoning districts for that one land use designation. Um, court, um, the California courts have said we can't do that anymore. And so whatever the general plan says as the maximum density is the maximum density regardless of what your zoning says. So for example, if you have a zoning district from 20 to 40 units an acre, but your zoning is 20 to 25 units an acre, the project on that site can actually build up to 40 units an acre. And so we wanna stop that from happening. We wanna make sure there is that clarity and that relationship between the general plan and the zoning. And so that's why the land use designations are more detailed and much more detailed. We still are gonna need more zoning districts to address things like what's going on in the downtown and other unique areas um, and design considerations for specific areas and for specific zones. That's still gonna have to happen. Um, it's not part of this process now but we are much, much closer to good guidance on zoning with these land use designations than we were with the, in the existing general plan. So, Netta, does that, does, okay, so basically, during the interim time, does that mean that the land use designations basically override zoning when there's a difference, if, you know, if there's a conflict? And, and then my second question, follow-up question is, do those, does zoning come to the Planning Commission? So state law says when there's discrepancies between, specifically as it relates, in general, general plan is the governing document, right? So everything defaults back to general plan. State law, as Matt mentioned, makes things a little tricky because it says if your general plan and your zoning district have conflicting densities, they get to use the highest. Whether that's in the general plan or in the zoning, they get to pick the highest number. The other issue we are facing that we are trying to resolve is, um, as the Planning Commission is aware from many of the downtown projects, our form-based codes don't have densities. And so these, these new designations, including the mixed-use designations, 
will add densities to all of the form-based code areas. So like the, the, once the general plan um, update is adopted, if it is, and these designations are included if they are, this will lay out the density and the downtown specific plan will defer to the densities in the general plan. So in general, the hierarchy is general plan, but there are some nuances with state law. Zoning changes are brought before Planning Commission who makes a recommendation onto City Council. Okay, great, thank you. And then my last question is, Matt, I don't know if you can or, you know, one thing I'm very interested in and I think would help educate um, everyone as we make these decisions is how the calculations were done. You know, how, you know, how did we come to the six stories, the units, and then the 1%, you know, and just how are those calculations done both for the housing and the um, employment, you know, trying to meet the city council's goals, um, you know, because I, I, just as we address the height of the buildings, which I think everybody is aware of, that's a major concern, and, and I understand that adding some means we have to take others away or vice versa. I just, a little understanding of how those calculations were done would be helpful for me. Well, yeah, just in terms of the calculations that we actually, let's go down, if we could down lower. Um, the calculations that I showed at the end were just looking at the, um, at the maps and calculating using GIS, geographic information systems, to calculate acreages. So all that we did was we took what was in the base and we compared it to the proposed in terms of number of acres, and that's how we got those differences. And then we calculated the acres and we compared that to the total area of the city in the sphere of influence. Um, the, um, the, uh, the last point that you see here on the screen of the residential capacity, um, again, that's just um, basic multiplication um, for we for the areas of discussion we created pivot tables of the land use designations um, for the base and um, and a pivot table for the area of discussion we applied the maximum density to the acres we multiplied it out and we compared the two um, so you know again i want to i want to reiterate that the direction um, from the council was a target for thinking it's not a hard and fast rule um, you know the the city is going to have to look at its land use designations during the next arena cycle, um, which um, you know is coming up in seven years now. Um, we don't know what the state is going to do. We don't know what those requirements are going to be. Um, the target was two to three times the arena to give the city some capacity so you don't have to go through a rezoning process. Um, later on with RENA, um, and also to meet the city's objectives um, from the vision of trying to increase the number of housing units and increase the diversity of housing for affordability. Um, you know, we don't know what the state's going to come up with. We don't know what that's going to mean for the RENA, um, and so the idea was to give the city some um, capacity so you don't have to go through the process again because there's a lot more engagement with this process. Um, that said, if, if this... For example, if this land use map stays the same, um, it doesn't impact the current housing element. Um, it just might mean that in four or five years when the new arena comes out, you might actually need to go through this process again and find parcels to um, increase the capacity on, the residential capacity. But we don't know because we can't predict that far and we don't know what the state's gonna do. Um, does that answer your um, 
Mostly. So when you're talking about <laughs> when you're talking about the acreage, I mean, are we are we talking? Was that calculated per floor, or is this truly an area it's, acre? It's area acres. Um, it's area okay. of the parcel itself. And and um, one one point to just um, note: the state with the capacity, uh, the residential capacity, does not do that based on building height. They do that based on the density. And so we use the density to calculate that. The building height has nothing to do with residential capacity, except that each land use designation has a maximum height and density, and they are related to one another. I mean, we, we looked at projects, we did test fits, um, you know, broadly used our experience with that to come up with those density numbers. Um, but, you know, there's no, there's no magic about six stories and the need for six stories. What is required is the overall capacity, which is tied to the density per parcel. Thank you. That was super helpful. I appreciate it. Thanks. Other questions? Commissioner Abbey. I had one more question. Um, so in the process, we're at the land use maps level, but somewhere in the process, and I think if I'm, tell me if I'm incorrect, GPAC has to tackle traffic and circulation. Is that correct? We will have a discussion of the circulation element, which is one of the elements of the general plan. Okay, so we're, uh, the, the idea on the land use is that we need more capacity for, for units, and of course that will impact traffic and circulation. When uh, approximately what, uh, what uh, area, excuse me, on the calendar, when do you expect that you will get to that with the GPAC? So a traffic study and analysis, which I think you talked about capacity of the streets. Um, the land use map, right, when, when a preferred land use map is, is decided or endorsed by Planning Commission and City Council, that feeds into doing the environmental impact report, which also will include a traffic study. So knowing where the land uses are going to fall helps then program those densities in, as we discussed, to then run the numbers and the models of what the traffic looks like. Um, as we move out of land use alternatives, we'll move into a series of GPAC meetings where we'll talk of, about a variety of other topics and elements, public open space, um, park space, circulation, and things of that nature. So that would occur kind of on the, along the same timeline as the EIR and local coastal program are being prepared. Okay. Uh, would there be a feedback loop, meaning at some point when the traffic and circulation is identified and perhaps if there's negative consequences with the densities involved in particular parts of town, Will there be another opportunity for planning commission or the public to weigh in on how that impact should or could impact land use? Uh, meaning if there is mitigation or adjustments needed to streets, is that going to be discussed? Um, that will all be part of the EIR to, to look at and understand what you know, changes in those areas are going to look like in terms of those street networks and capacity. And also, could that potentially impact the land use that we and the city uh, city council ultimately picks on September 11th? Will there be feedback, or are we locking this in stone? This is 
Tonight, this is just a recommendation to City Council to endorse it. We're not adopting or approving the land use map. When that city... happens with the full adoption. So as the process goes on, there's always opportunities to adjust the land use map and any other part of uh, the general plan up until the adoption point. So yes, okay, there's So even ability. when City Council makes their decision on September 11th on land use, that may not be the final decision. Correct, that's just an endorsement of it so we can start these next steps. All right, thank you. Okay, um, I have a couple questions. On that note, um, the, uh, I'm glad that it was clarified the EIR does include traffic study. Uh, are there other safety studies that are now beginning to become um, important for cities to look at in light of the natural disasters that have occurred in this city and other places? How is that process done and when will that be done? So one of the requirement, required elements of the general plan is a safety element that does look at hazards um, of, of uh, wildfire. We also have sea level rise and tsunami, you know, kind of from both directions. Um, all of that is looked at through that element. It's also something, a topic, um, particularly tsunami and sea level rise as part of the local coastal program. So that document looks at that as well. And then there are a variety of different topics that have to be um, studied in an environmental impact report that include infrastructure, hazards, safety, resources, public facilities, air quality, a, a wide variety of topics. Okay. Evacuation analysis, all, yeah. all of those kind yeah. of different pieces. Um, let me just jump in. There, there is one um, relatively new requirement from the state to look at um, emergency evacuation analysis, actually two separate state laws. Um, so that will be included in the general plan and in the environmental impact report. And it looks at, um, for example, locations where there's only one way in and out of a neighborhood. Um, and so we have to identify those as part of the general plan process. Um, for the benefit of the commissioners that have not part, been part of the GPAC and for the public that may not uh, fully understand it, can you go through the RENA numbers versus city council's goals? You mentioned briefly two to three times, but could you flesh that out just a little bit more so that people have a, a clearer understanding? I will do my best. Um, okay, so uh, as we mentioned in the beginning, um, state law requires that every general plan um, that there be eight separate elements or chapters of a general plan. One of those chapters is the housing element. The housing element is the only element that is required to be reviewed in its entirety by and approved by the state. And so the housing element generally tends to run on a different track than overall general plan updates, um, and there are much more stringent requirements. It, they tend to be much longer and more detailed. One of those um, aspects of the housing element is called the RENA, or Regional Housing Needs um, Allocation. And um, I just call it RENA now. I always forget what it stands for. Um, and so that is the state comes up with a broad number about the amount of growth that will happen in a region. Um, then the, the region develops a formula for allocating the amount of housing units to jurisdictions, and jurisdictions are required to identify specific parcels. Um, the methodology that the state uses to identify and agree 
on individual parcels and whether there can be development is actually different than what we use very broadly for our growth projections for the general plan. They're very precise. Um, like you must look at every single parcel and be able to build and it must be buildable for a variety of reasons and they, they evaluate every parcel. Um, so the, um, the arena for this year was about 5,000, for this cycle, was about 5,300 housing units. The idea for this capacity was, um, and there was for the most part the city had the capacity, had the sites, um, except for a few sites that required rezoning, it had the sites um, without rezoning to meet that um, requirement. Um, but you typically can't use, reuse all of the sites from year to year. So you wanna make sure that you have other sites and that there's zoning capacity in other sites for future arena cycles which is what the recommendation was, was to not just say, we're just doing one rena cycle, that's it, we're done, um, but we're going to try and find additional sites so that we don't have to go back and redo this in five to six years. Um, and so that's what the target was for. Um, as I said, the methodology from the state can change about how you do that. Um, it was a target. Um, what seems to be true overall is that um, there are some areas from the GPAC preferred direction. There are some areas that had an increase in residential capacity and a decrease in residential capacity. The areas that had an increase um, may be more likely to develop than the areas that were decreased. Um, and so that actually could be, have a positive effect. But ultimately, we don't know because we don't know what, that, what those policies from the state are going to be and the requirements for that next cycle. So the idea was that we because of RENA and because of other reasons that we try and provide extra capacity in the city for more residential. Um, the uh, GPAC preferred did that potentially to some degree, but probably not as much as what this target was. And again, it's not a problem. It just might mean that the city is gonna, might have to, in four or five, six years, come back and redo um, and look at its zoning again and rezone on a parcel level rather than comprehensively as we're doing here in this process. Just a point that may be important too is this: this the region which we are part of, the SCAG region, gets all of its allocation of its renum numbers, and then typically uh, housing element you have about six to eight months to develop it. It's not like the state gives us long leeways to to go through multi-year um, uh, engagement processes to determine that. It is a, a pretty quick time. Uh, again, so when a general plan looks at a 20 to 30 year horizon that has multiple cycles in it, you know, we do have the um, uh, more time to spend on public engagement and have these conversations versus when your arena cycle happens and your numbers are given, staff in the city have, you know, a shorter window, a six to eight month time period to find, uh, identify those housing element sites, develop and adopt the housing element and then submit that to the state. So I just want to be conscious that there are different timelines associated with, with both efforts. Okay, uh, density bonus. Um, this city has a 15% number. Um, I've seen cities with lower and higher, and 15% um, is a good start. Um, how does a city go about changing that number if it so chooses? 
in terms of how many inclusionary units are included in a project? Correct. So um, the the city's inclusionary housing ordinance, which the planning commission reviewed and recommended uh, approval to the city council who adopted in, in February of this year and it went into effect in July, has a 15% requirement for rental and a 10% um, requirement for for sale, if I'm not mistaken. Um, don't quote me on that, but I think it's a 10%. The, that is determined by the city. The city has the discretion to do how much it would like in inclusionary units. However, the state does say that if your inclusionary housing um, requirements are an impediment to the development of housing, meaning that they are so high or they go into too deep of affordability that it actually impedes market rate housing development to occur, that the state does have the ability to raise questions and review our inclusionary housing ordinance um, through the housing element as a governmental constraint. One of the main um, tools is the housing element that the state does use to look at all of our housing programs and laws to um, remove any governmental constraints or barriers to encourage the development of housing in, an, in a community. Mm -hmm. So uh, in, in layman's terms, uh, if a city decided that 40% was the number that they would like to uh, foist upon developers, in effect, stopping all development, uh, uh, the state would step in and say, mm, can't really do that. And require a financial analysis that justifies that type of development being able to occur with that depth of affordability. Okay, very good. Um, Mr. Ramey, you own a uh, company or a principal in a firm that's done this in dozens of cities uh, over a long period of time. I would like you to give us some feedback on how your experience, you've been working at this two and a half, three years here, uh, the city of Ventura. Um, how is the city uh, growth-wise, uh, constituency, concern-wise? If you don't mind being candid with us, I kind of want to know where we are in, in comparison to other similar-sized cities. Um, sure, I'll answer that question by not really answering that question. Um, you know, Every city is different. Every every city is unique, and and this city is very unique. I mean, I you know when we when I first came here twenty years ago, um, you know I knew walking in it was it was a different place. So every city is unique. Every city has their own politics. Every city has their own objectives and their own vision of what they want to grow as. Um, so I can't really compare. I mean, I think you are you are who you are, um, and I think the job here for you is to figure out who you want to be. Um, as you grow and evolve over the next 20 to 25 years. And, and that process um, overall is, is a messy process. The, you know, we, when we started this, and, um, and David, you'll probably remember this, when we started with, with this with the GPAC, it, you know, everything was great. We were talking about the vision, everything. We're all in agreement. It, broadly, I mean, there were some discrepancies with the vision, but you know, there was a lot of agreement. And I said, it's going to be great until we start talking about land uses, and and that's true to form. I mean, it it really is the the most challenging part. Um, we I've never been in a community where everyone just comes out and says, yes, we all agree completely. Um, so you know, in that sense, you're no you're no different than everyone else because you have lots of people in the community and lots of people have different opinions, and when you um, start talking about change, um, people inherently don't like change. Um, we know that, that's just, it's human nature. Um, and when uh, you, 
people are have been in the community a long time, um, you know, changes and evolution is is challenging. And so again, that's just part of the process, and that's something that you know we go through in every single community that we're in. And so. Um, you know, is this community, you know, different in that way? No, not at all. I mean, you have, you have very passionate community members who care deeply about the future of the city, and that is great. And that's a lot of what's coming out in this process. And there are differences of opinion, and there should be differences of opinion. And the challenge is how do you balance all of those to create a future for the city that works for the residents who are here now, and the challenge is really thinking to the future about how do you plan for the residents who aren't here now or who maybe grew up here and want to come back here. Um, and that's a lot harder to do. Most people tend not to think, and it's very difficult, and this is not meant in a negative way, it's very difficult to, to pull yourself out of where you are now and think about what, what a place could become in the future. And that's the challenge of planning, and that's the challenge of what we're really doing here. Um, there's nothing inherently wrong with what the GPAC has done and or how the public responded to that. It just is how people respond um, to these um, to these situations. So nothing different. Um, you know, again, I think it's been a long process, um, longer than other communities, but there's been a lot more engagement than in other communities. I think you the the city is where it needs to be right now in this discussion to have this discussion to figure out how to move forward. Thank you. You actually did answer the question. Other questions? Yes, Commissioner McCarty. Thank you. <clears throat> Matt, I'd like to go back for a minute to something you mentioned when you discussed the state-mandated evacuation plans. And as I heard it, uh, you said that any single exit areas need to be addressed in the general plan. And then earlier, very early on in this presentation, there was mention of a parcel in Pierpont at Vista Del Mar and Alessandro, which is specifically being taken up by the city council and not a part of the general plan. It's likely that that parcel may be a single exit evacuation area. So if that's the case, how does that later get rolled into uh, the general plan, if, if at all? Let me start by saying I'm I'm not an expert in this part of the of the law and this part of um, of planning. It's it's pretty technical. Um, one of the the challenges that I have in my position is there's eight different elements and then lots of other topics. And I'm I, I'm expected to be an expert in every area, so I know a little bit about every area. Um, but the the state what it requires is an identification and an analysis of those areas. It doesn't prohibit those areas. Um, so it just requires that there be an identification and an, an analysis of evacuation. Um, so I don't think it's a barrier to it. It really has to be an identification of that. But we can certainly, um, you know, between tonight and tomorrow night, if you want, we can go back and do a little more research and come back and maybe answer that more fully because I don't want to give you the wrong information. Okay. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just curious yeah. as to how that isn't missed um, when the general plan is, is finalized and adopted. So, okay, thank, thank you. Further questions? Chair, Chair Condom, I have another question, if I could. Please jump in. Thank you. Um, Matt and Netta, so if we were to request changes to <clears throat> some of the land use designations tonight, how will that be edited will you will they will you go back and and recalculate densities and um acreage and things like that to see if we're meeting city council's 
goal and you know how all that, what is that process? Um, similar to, to this, so we would take uh, the GPAC's recommendation, what we've heard from the public and what we've heard from the recommendation from Planning Commission and take all of that forward to City Council for their consideration so that they have the full breadth of information for their discussion. I imagine we would kind of revise this table we've provided to include the Planning Commission's recommendation so the City Council can weigh all of that and update our numbers so they have kind of analysis of all of the scenarios. Okay, I guess I'm asking though, the Planning Commission would not have those updated numbers, you know, if, if, if we were trying to make some changes but still meet the goals, how would we know that as we're going through these? Um, it's a really good question. Um, these are broad targets, and I think the way that, um, that we at least thought about this was um, this isn't saying we absolutely have to meet these numbers. What, it's, what these numbers were indicating is that there is a desire to increase the residential capacity. So in a sense, I would be, if, if what the objective of the Planning Commission wants to do, and I'm not saying you do want to do, but if, if your objective is to increase capacity, I would worry a little bit less about the numbers themselves and just more about if, you, if there are areas where you think residential capacity should be added, where are those areas, and what do you want your vision to be? And then the numbers were, will fall where they fall. Um, but again, it should be really more based broadly on the vision for the community. Um, the same thing holds true for if there's areas where you think the, the um, capacity is too high or the density is too high and you want to change it. Um, we just need to make sure, ultimately, that we are not decreasing the capacity compared to the existing. Um, you can go up as high as you want, you can't decrease. And so our trigger of where we're gonna warn you is when you're, you're gonna decrease below that. And we, can, we can't come up with the numbers on the fly, but we can give you a gut sense of you know, where it is. And for example, one thing you probably noticed about the feedback forms is that a lot of the areas where there were proposed changes in height or density were areas that the public um, did not approve of and did not agree with. If you were to keep all of the areas that were um, proposed for lowering the capacity and then not do any of the changes for increasing capacity, I would say you might have an issue um, with numbers. Um, but beyond that, I, I'm not, we can't give exact numbers right now. Okay, thank you. All right. Seeing no further requests for feedback. I think the next step is we're going to go to public comment. We're gonna open the public hearing and allow all speakers the opportunity for three minutes each. All the public speaking will occur tonight. After I close the public hearing, we will then begin our deliberations which will extend until tomorrow. I'm not even sure, depending on how many speakers we have, if we'll begin deliberating tonight, but there's a good chance we will. So if you wish to speak on this topic in any form, please make sure you have a card in and take your three minutes today. Tomorrow there will not be public speaking. So with that, Madam Clerk, do we have any public speakers? Chair Condon, we have 21 public speakers. Okay, very good. Our first speaker is Judy Alexander, followed by Stephanie Caldwell.
Good evening. And I'm speaking tonight representing the Ventura Social Service Task Force, as well as myself as an individual. And I first want to thank the GPAC. They have worked long and hard. So thank you for all the work and effort that you put in. And I want to support the recommendations of staff and of GPAC, but I want to support it as a starting point, not as a finishing point. I don't want less than what they have recommended. There are several things that are just missing. Um, one, there's no really creative alternative housing for those that cannot afford housing. Much of the plan that has been proposed and what we have in our city serves well the wealthier, those that are already housed, and those who have established employment, relations, etc. It does not address younger, other generations, the needs of seniors, the concerns of those that are workforce housing, and I'm talking all levels of workforce housing. Affordable housing in this city is $100,000. Very affordable is $60,000. We cannot keep professional staff that are starting their careers. They don't earn that income. The people most negatively affected by our restrictions are those with less income and those people of color. Those who are renting, not people like me who've owned my home for years. We need to address the total need of all residents and what kind of residents have greater needs. So I look at what has happened as a wonderful starting place that I recommend and support and know that we must go further, we must look deeper, and we must address a larger range of needs. I happen to be an East Side resident who moved to the East Side when Victoria and Telephone and Telegraph were two lane roads and the track that I'm in was the furthest east you could go. It has changed a lot and that's a good thing because our city has needed to grow. The East Side has places where you can do things, but we have no housing variety and we have no amenities. We don't even have a grocery store and half the city lives east of Victoria. So this is a wonderful beginning and please go further. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Alexander. <clears throat> Our next speaker is Stephanie Caldwell, followed by Louise Lampara. Good evening. My name is Stephanie Caldwell. I serve as the president and CEO of the Ventura Chamber of Commerce. I'm also a resident of Midtown and I serve on the General Plan Advisory Committee. I'm here tonight to speak a little bit about the general industrial and industrial needs um, in our community. I'm pleased to see that the general industrial uses are being maintained in the areas of the west side. Our west side is arguably the most vibrant area of our city. Maintaining general industrial designations will allow many successful relevant legacy businesses to continue to operate, expand, and evolve, preserving head of household jobs that are critical to the vitality of our city. If these uses were to be restricted or disallowed, many of these jobs would be lost to other communities outside of Ventura. I also remain committed to continuing the discussions regarding the definitions of light and general industrial 
to provide additional specificity at future GPAC and other public meetings. Even subtle changes often have profound and negative and unintended consequences on our business community and jobs. So ongoing dialogue with all of the stakeholders is crucial. Thank you for your thoughtful consideration on all of these uses. Thank you, Ms. Caldwell. <clears throat> Our next speaker is Louise Lampara, followed by Nathan Buckner. Good evening, Louise Lampara. I am a Westside resident. I also serve on the GPAC, but tonight I'm here representing the Ventura County Coalition of Labor, Ag, and Business, COLAB. Um, I'm pleased to recognize the public support for agriculture. Uh, the results of the public feedback survey show that the residents of Ventura want to maintain the SOAR working ag lands and their connection to Ventura's farming heritage. Farming is, however, much more than the land on which the seed is planted. Farming operations require water, dirt movement, bringing equipment and supplies to the field and later to market. It requires packaging and processing facilities, and it important, most importantly, high-quality housing for our essential farm workers. As a community, we need to continue to show our support for farming beyond just preserving our farmland. Uh, I want to recognize and express my appreciation for the, uh, one of the slides that showed the responses to the citywide policy questions, question 16, which showed that over 83% of the respondents had strong support for including policies and programs in the general plan moving forward to support agriculture. So I know that as we move forward with the general plan update, the community and hopefully the members of this commission will help to advocate for policies and programs to ensure our farmers can actually continue to farm the lands that the community wants to preserve. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Lempera. Next speaker is Nathan Buckner, followed by Terry Allison. Hi, Planning Commission. My name is Nathan Buner, and I'm going to be going into my freshman year at Cal Poly Slow next year. Uh, and I just want to say, I would really like to live here after I come back from Cal Poly Slow. I'd like to move back after college and start my life and put down roots. But I'm not sure I'm going to be able to do that because it's really expensive. So let's fix that. And this plan does a great job of that. Let's create more mixed-use, high-density housing areas. Let's allow more height on buildings. Let's create more housing units. Because the more housing we create, the less expensive housing gets, and the easier it becomes to put down roots in Ventura. And not just for me, for everyone who wants to live here. Living in Ventura should not be a privilege just given to the few who can afford million-dollar homes. It should be shared with everyone, regardless of socioeconomic status. I wholeheartedly support this plan. I only wish it went further, because we all have the privilege to be here. But what about those who don't have the luxury of being here? This plan will apply to all of Ventura, so it should represent all of Ventura. And more and more of Ventura is beginning to worry about the size of their housing bill and against their portfolio. I have personally known people who have turned away due to the expense. So let's fix the problem. And implementing this plan is a great first step. This is a great city, but if we want 
to share the gift that is our city with the world and allow people like me to come back and start their lives, we need to make the city accessible for those who wish to receive the gift. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Buehner. Our next speaker is Terry Allison, followed by Marianne Bevener, please. Uh, good evening. Um, I'm Terry Allison. I am the Director of Facilities with Ventura Unified School District. I'm here today to represent Ventura Unified and to voice our strong support for the GPAC's uh, recommended uh, land use designations, specifically for our properties on the west side, our Stanley Avenue headquarters buildings for the mixed use four, and for the Avenue schools uh, designation of mixed use three. Um, our school board believes that moving forward with these designations will provide the necessary flexibility required uh, for to obtain competitive uh, development proposals um, that will eventually satisfy the city, the community, and the district's goals uh, for development. Um, anyway, I also wanted to thank the commission for your thoughtful consideration, um, and also the GPAC and community development staff for their tremendous effort on this, this uh, item. Thank you very much. Thank you, Ms. Allison. Hi, good evening, I'm Marianne Bevener, and this is my first time before the Planning Commission. I'm an owner of a single story um, residence in Midtown Corridor, south of Thompson Boulevard, west of Seward. I've been there for six years. I'm requesting that you honor the Midtown Corridors plan, the October 2022 survey results, and the July 2023 feedback form results. Please change the GPAC's four-story preferred land use map in Midtown Corridors along Thompson and Maine back to three stories. But I also have suggestions for increasing the residential development capacities in other areas for no net loss. I'm confident about the survey results representing my neighborhood. Since this time last year, I've been attending meetings, asking questions, delivering flyers to doorsteps, mailing to non-resident owners. I did not tell people how to answer their surveys. I did give people details about the state law for density bonus and an email for them to contact me. My suggestions for citywide increases, since mixed use can already be 100% commercial, do not create any more commercial. Recode commercial and professional office to mixed use so we can add the residential density and that could speed up adaptive reuse. Number one, do not change Loma Vista from mixed use to commercial, that's in five points. Do not change the block on Ventura Avenue to commercial, change to mixed use, that's on the west side. The current commercial zoning that already allows residential should be designated mixed use. The um, C1 is 21 properties, three stories, and there's 89 properties that are six stories already that are commercial. For the CPD, the commercial plan development, there's 69 properties in the city at six stories. That currently doesn't allow for residential. Um, you can convert some of those to the neighborhood centers. There are 27 commercial centers in the area listed on the website. Um, and then finally, the uh, professional office, there's 21 properties at three stories that do not allow for residential. Change that to a mixed use three. So the density in Midtown is already approved to increase. We just haven't seen the building. Let's talk about the development along Seaward, not yet built, proximity to Thompson. Two blocks away from Thompson and Seaward, Haley Point, Haley Point, 72 townhouses, two and a half blocks, the Vista del Mar, 394 units, and then three blocks and an overpass, Anastasi, 97 condos and commercial. All of Midtown quarters already allows for ADUs, four units by lot, by, four units per lot by right. 
So please hold off increasing the burden on Mintown. City Council has the right to change the zoning on individual parcels. Increase heights in the future, but not now. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Evener. Our next speaker is Helen Aloyan, followed by Scott Spencer. Good evening, Chair Comden and Planning Commissioners. Um, I first want to say thank you for everyone who worked on this report. I'm looking at the Ramey team. I know this was a major effort, and I just can't imagine the long hours spent before, after, and during all the community meetings. So I appreciate that effort. Um, I did want to say that I generally do um, support the revisions made in the land use maps, but I do have a couple substantive comments. I'll try not to repeat what was said earlier, but I did want to bring some science into the conversation. Um, so I, it's kind of notable at a couple of the GPAC meetings, we talked about the desire of our community members to bring forward collaboration with the Air Pollution Control District who exactly knows the sources of pollutants in our community. So we don't have to regulate our land uses based on guesses. Um, a number of the existing businesses on the west side that are in the general, more heavy industrial zoned areas, they're inherently just regulated to, I would say minimal or to no impacts on the environment just from the use of best best available control technology, best management practices, um, and the Air Pollution Control District does an amazing job of regulating them. I guarantee if you call them tomorrow and ask about the Avenue businesses, they'll tell you how they were just driving down and everyone's in compliance. I do agree with Commissioner Zucker that the polluters do need to be found out because those are the legal operators who are not getting permits and are not complying with existing regulations. Um, I also kind of wanted to insert that comment here because there's no, there's no real need to redo it study to identify. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. Very cautious of our tax dollars. <laughs> and I'd really urge um, the Planning Commission to direct staff to coordinate with um, county-wide regulators so we can make sure we're in alignment with existing regulations already. Um, Previously, going back to the land use classification, specifically zoning classifications for the industrial areas, some of them were um, how do I say this, misplaced, um, I want to say accidentally into heavier zones, but I mean, if we're talking about a lay down yard where we're just putting pipes, and they're pretty big pipes um, that don't have any um, air emissions, you know, I, I really doubt that's a, he a high impact general or heavy industrial use. So maybe we want to look at those kinds of things more carefully because we don't want to turn someone who creates natural dyes from natural materials um, into a processor and then triggers them into a heavy industrial use. So we kind of want to avoid unintended consequences. But again, I just really want to thank staff. I mean, I'm, I'm a planner. I know all the hard work that goes into this. Um, our community was really, really responsive, as we can see here tonight. And I am proud that our city is, is um, doing our best on this. But I, I very much urge that we include science where we can. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Aloyan. Next is Scott Spencer, followed by Steve McLaughlin. Good evening. I have two concerns with the general plan. First, the areas scheduled for a zone change from commercial to multi-use don't acknowledge developer concessions. When the plan indicates a three or four story multifamily building is allowed, that can easily become five or six stories. 
I believe that makes the plan as it's being presented misleading. The plan should be redrawn to concede this reality. Otherwise, it feels to me like a misdirect. We've seen how 211 Figueroa slid through the city system with concessions. Pick a new color to show the public all the areas open to the developer for added floors so residents can really see what the new building next to them will look like. My second issue regards quality of life and public safety. We've heard that a traffic study will take place once the plan is approved. Does that mean if entire streets are found to be unsuitable for the addition of hundreds of apartments, the zoning will revert back? Will the public get to see and analyze the traffic study? The Ventura Active Transportation Plan is being worked on simultaneously with the general plan. It talks at length about walking, bicycling, and public transportation. Almost nothing about personal vehicle use, which is how most of us get around. On the safety issue, how will we evacuate a disaster now, let alone with thousands of additional people all trying to leave an area at once? Imagine a wind-driven firestorm attacking the west side's 100-year-old wood structures. The current evacuation plan calls for residents living west of Ventura Avenue to use Olive Street and head towards Maine or Stanley. What if one or both of those routes are impassable? A few weeks ago, we saw what happened when Lahaina was unprepared for the unthinkable. Horribly, families died in their homes and cars. Or imagine an earthquake leveling parts of downtown Ventura and surrounding areas. Hundreds of people trying to get help, but trapped in impossible gridlock. The kind of gridlock we can experience on a sunny Saturday in Ventura with no events happening. Stop thinking adding people doesn't add cars, it does. So let's plan a city where the current and future resident safety and quality of life is as important as the desire to meet state housing mandates. We should hear from first responders how crowded areas of the city would safely evacuate with all the additional people. I've had to leave a home in the middle of the night, grabbing loved ones and pets, racing down the road surrounded by a raging wildfire. It's terrifying, and it's real. A blocked road wouldn't have been survivable. Let's carefully think about aspects of this plan that I don't think have been given as much thought as has been given adding thousands of residential units. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Spencer. Our next speaker is Steve McLaughlin, followed by Alex Mangioni. Good evening, everybody. Thank you for uh, hearing me out. Um, and I do appreciate new people on the commission, too. So it's a brand new set of eyes. And so they're not focused on what was happening in the past. I've been here 33 years. I live over by um, Camino Real Park. Um, one thing I have a problem with is um, the Maple Court um, complex that's going to be there. It's going to be 368 units. And, you know, that's two people per unit. Every, like this gentleman said, everybody drives. So that's a three, 736 cars going to be added to that area. And when I came earlier, the design part of it, the, the, the uh, architects had two lanes coming off a of maple. There's only one lane coming off a of maple. And so they said, oh, that was a misprint. And sure enough, they knew exactly what was going on. So I just want to make sure 
Um, zoning needs to be really emphasized because you go up six stories, you can fit a lot of people in there, like right here, 368 units, and it's right next to a residential house, the complex right there. And these people, and myself, are going to be retired here, and all of a sudden now we have this monster coming right there by us. And also, I'm not sure if anybody's been in Mills or anything like that. That's a very busy street. We have the ambulances come down that street all the time, you know, so it's going to be a challenge uh, anywhere that we do that. So <clears throat> I just want to let everybody know I appreciate the traffic studies. I really think that we should really emphasize on that. I know City Council wants to move forward with this, but I think we need to put our brakes on stuff, really, you know, look at this stuff, you know, maybe build high-rise out on the outskirts of the, of the um, you know, the city and stuff like that because already we have residential areas that are already filled with normal people and cars that are coming up and stuff like that. Uh, also, you know, it would have been nice if people talked about this Maple Court. We could have repurposed that um, to um, apartments and then go to, like, little um, tiny houses or something on the other property in that area for my kids that are growing up here. They're in their 30s, and, you know, so they can afford it, because I know some people said it's, it's just, you know, our houses are expensive. And also, we have a lot of other buildings going on. Right now, we have people are saying over on uh, Sandhome, we have monster sky rises. Johnson Drive, that thing's huge. Over by the Ventura um, High School right there, that's something else. On the west side, too, we have high rises right over there, too. And they're not even filled yet. Wait till we get the, and we only have two-lane roads on our, uh, on our streets here. There's no way to involve, you know, increase them. So I know my time's up. I do appreciate your time. Thank you very much, and consider um, thinking about it, and goals can be modified too, all right? Thank you, Mr. McLaughlin. Next is Alex Mangione, followed by Lynn Rollins. Good evening, commissioners. Thank you for your time. Uh, there's a lot of content in these updated land use designations and preferred land use maps. A lot of great changes were made. I appreciate the effort staff put into engaging the community. A lot of resources were put in to not only attempting to get the public to participate, but also to update the community on the efforts of the GPAC throughout the process. I think the community has a responsibility to engage each other as well. So it was great to see a lot of that also. I think the most important aspect of this community engagement is the surveys. Obviously, it is of utmost importance for the Planning Commission to have a clear understanding of the proposed land use changes. But it is equally important for the Planning Commission to understand the concerns and suggestions of the community. Otherwise, the engagement was for naught, and the effort to brand the general plan update as collaborative did not happen as intended. I urge the Planning Commission to take the community's concerns very seriously in regards to increased building heights. Engaging the community in person will give you the same feedback. We all know this. But it is very clear from the surveys that the community does not want an increase in allowable mixed-use building heights from three to four stories in most of these areas. We cannot ignore the fact that you will be creating an element of the general plan that will allow for five- and six-story buildings in most of these corridors. We are already seeing this, again, against the majority of the public's opinion. I urge you to push back on these proposed changes. 
You all, the commission, are tasked with some big decisions to make. The efforts done by staff in regards to community engagement on this general plan update should make it easy for you to make the correct ones on this subject. Um, I appreciate and uh, thank you, Commissioner Abbey, for your questions and comments earlier that cleared up a couple things, concerns that I had. And it really echoed a lot of concerns with, that the community has that was stated earlier. It's kind of the cart before the horse analogy. There's a, a lot of concern that we're gonna, this is gonna be approved and it's gonna be too late for any community, community engagement. Um, you know, we have some recent examples of that. It, it, it didn't really matter how much the community got involved and we felt like it was too late. Um, so I, agree, I greatly appreciate your guys' dedication to the community and again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Lynn mm -hmm. Rollins followed by Karen Flock. I came to Ventura when I was two weeks old, um, and I've taught at Ventura College for 52 years, so I've seen some change, um, and I'm not afraid of change. This change is different. Um, the densification um, and the concrete jungleization of our downtown and our, um, our west side are, are not appropriate. They're already dense enough, um, and we have seen, we have seen what happens. Um, we saw it a couple weeks ago in the city council meeting where we learned that four stories mean six stories. Um, we, have, we learned that apparently, that allegedly, that a, um, a threat of lawsuit changes um, the opinion of the Planning Commission. Um, we've learned a whole series of things like that are important. We already know that the city is willing to take, um, to give permits, grant permits until stage five drought. Stage five drought when there is not enough water for anybody, anywhere, okay? Um, and that's problematic. So a lot of good work is done into this. I respect that. I respect a lot of what's been done, but without a, a, an architectural review board with aesthetic standards, without a planning commission with the power and the grit to go ahead and, and, apply, and stand up for what's, what we value here, and without a city council that, that values our history and our nature, um, we're in trouble. Thanks. Thank you, Ms. Rollins. Karen Flock, followed by Christy Weir. Good evening, Chair Comden and members of the Planning Commission. My name is Karen Flock, and I'm a resident of Ventura. I support the staff recommendation, but unenthusiastically. Um, this has been an exhausting process. Um, I'm certainly not suggesting that you start from scratch, but just looking back at a survey that was done of residents, the number one issues for people in the city are homelessness and housing. Um, the recommended plan could do more to proactively address our need for housing, and particularly affordable housing. We're one of the highest cost housing regions in the country, and that's largely because the city has historically restricted housing development. Those of us who own homes have benefited economically from this restriction, but we need to think about the whole community, including renters, young people, and lower income people. The residents of our city have voted to preserve agricultural land and to not develop further the hillsides. Higher density infill development is more environmentally sustainable. It uses less water, energy, and infrastructure. 
It better supports walking, bicycling, and public transportation, and thus helps reduce greenhouse gas emissions and address some concern about traffic. It prioritizes development in areas that are less susceptible to fire. Including higher density sites throughout the city would help address historic patterns of racial, ethnic, and economic segregation. I would like to have seen no downzoning of housing and more designations of higher density housing. I'd like to see, as per a program in the housing element, more sites with an affordable housing overlay. And also, I'd like to see sites owned by the school district, possibly the city's largest landowner, with such an overlay. It's very appropriate to designate more sites for housing than will be needed. This will help make land prices more competitive and help address the cost of housing. Population growth is slowing, but household size is decreasing, so the rate of growth in households may not be quite so slow. And it may not really fit in here, but I'd like to see us make the best use of the sites we have. Parks and green space is important, and I'd like to see the city and the school district working together to make school playgrounds accessible to children and the public after hours. This was discussed in the last general plan, but it hasn't been implemented. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Fluck. Next is Christy Weir, followed by Kathy Bremer. Thank you. Um, first of all, I totally agree with Karen about the park space. Um, hopefully that's going to come up next in some future element discussion, like how do we get some public space out of all this. Um, the zoning, this has been talked about, the zoning in the general plan um, is required only to meet the current arena cycle. So if you're planning out seven years and 15 years into future arena cycles, it's kind of like the dark zone. We don't really know what, what that's going to be. And I think it's very short-sighted right now to actually try and plan for that. The state has thought they're going to grow to 40 million people for about 10 years, and they're, they're not. <laughs> um, those population um, estimates are different than they have been. And the 20% uh, the, the buffer that we always talk about, that, that we're planning for extra units because of the 20% buffer that the state doesn't require, but they suggest, we don't need to do that either. That's just adding more that we don't need to do right now. Um, we don't need the five and six story land use designations. Um, this general plan is about what we want in our future. And that height is honestly, the, the old six story land use um, zoning was mostly commercial. That was never gonna turn into housing. And now it's really um, six story commercial isn't gonna happen, towers, towers of office buildings. That's, that's, that's the past also. A lot of the discussion, too, about in, the, in previous years about height was before the Thomas fire. Um, now that we, we have to think about earthquakes, fires, floods, and emergency evacuation. And six-story buildings are not easy to get out of. So we have to look at safety. So I would recommend you um, not include five- and six-story land use designations. We don't need them. Um, previously, the top density that we did for EIRs and that we looked at for parcels was 54 units to the acre. Um, you can keep that as a cap. 54 units to the acre is, is sufficient to meet our arena numbers in this cycle. We don't need to go higher than that. Um, also, I would say that 
the uh, Midtown Corridor Code should be kept as is. Um, during the GPAC discussion about upzoning sections of the Midtown Corridor Code from two and three stories to four, there was really not a whole lot of justification that I heard for that upzoning. And that is that being that it wasn't thoroughly discussed, um, you know, view protection and buffering and all that. Um, let's keep our Midtown Corridor Code as it was. It was very carefully planned. Um, also, the Alessandro parcel for the fire station, I, I, I'm not sure why we aren't looking at zoning that institutional, um, if it really is going to be a fire station. So um, thank you for thinking about our future as Ventura wants it and not how state bureaucrats um, up in Sacramento want it. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Weir. Our, our next speaker is Kathy Bremer, followed by Amy Sharif. I need a new prescription. Um, first, I want to acknowledge all the hard work that's gone into this. I realize that a ton of work has gone into it. The public, the RAMI organization, staff, planning commission, everybody has worked hard. Um, we did, there was, we briefly touched on policies that we need to make this plan work. And it is critical that we have policies that acknowledge and respect the neighborhoods that are adjacent to these larger structures that are going in. That's a fetish of mine personally. Um, I think the Maple Court project was mentioned by a speaker. That should not be six stories adjacent to the neighborhood behind on Wesley Avenue. It should be tapered down, it should be buffered. Um, it, the setbacks are inadequate on the project that's currently proposed. Um, thank you for clarifying that uh, the R&D designation also includes light industrial. I think that's important. I want to um, also make a plug on the Ashwood Center College area, that the Ashwood College Square Center be neighborhood center instead of mixed use, I think that there are plenty of very successful businesses there. The neighborhood uses that shopping center. It's walkable, it's across the street from Ashwood Gardens. It, neighbors from above Loma Vista walk down to the CVS and the restaurants. So I think that is more appropriate to be a neighborhood center. Um, I have deep concerns about the lemon plant and the circumvention of our planning process by the developer who came forward to city council instead of allowing GPAC to study this property and determine the best use. Um, on Johnson Drive, I want to plead not to put high rises adjacent to the 101. It just will have a feel like the San Fernando Valley. It's unhealthy to have people living right adjacent to the freeway. So those are my individual points. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Brenner. Brenner. Next is Amy Sheree, followed by Mark Sorota. Hello, good evening. Um, I want to thank all of you guys, uh, Ramey, Neda, the two that were on GPAC. It, it's a lot of work, and I do not envy you tonight. Um, and I actually agree with Stephanie Caldwell and 
the second lady. And there was a few speakers. It's a great start. Let's keep working on it and refine it. Um, we've had one real public workshop on these land use maps. Um, there was pop-ups and things, but not real community involvement. Uh, this is more like a like a housing maps. It does not include senior housing, low, very low income, small housing, um, any new parks or industri like industrial, um, not industrial, uh, public buildings, um, like the Alessandro site for the fire station. That shouldn't be commercial. That should be whatever the term is for uh, public. Um, and I don't understand why we're jumping from 54 units an acre to 80 units an acre. Uh, also in direct opposition of the Coastal Act, Section 30006, um, the community nor the GPAC were allowed to discuss or comment on the land use changes proposed for the Vista Del Mar site, the lemon packing plant, um, or the Alessandro Fire Training Facility. Um, if you don't know, the gist of 3006 is public participation. The public has a right to fully participate in decisions affecting coastal planning and development that achieves sound coastal development is dependent upon public understanding and support. This was not done. It also goes on to say that the continuing planning and implementation of programs for coastal development should include the widest opportunity for public participation. Uh, at the GPAC meetings, public was not allowed to comment until after they voted on the changes. Um, HCD also requires this for the housing element. Um, I was surprised to find uh, that the city's still going forward with the KB negotiations against strong community opposition. It should either remain industrial or maybe, you know, agricultural industrial with some farm worker housing or 100% senior housing. I ask that you reserve your recommendation to approve or deny these maps until after real participation occurs, um, especially the Pierpont area. Um, this is a good start. Keep moving forward, and thank you for your time. And again, good luck. Good night. Thank you, Ms. Cherry. <clears throat> Our next speaker is Mark Sorota. Uh, Mr. Sorota does have a PowerPoint presentation. The timer will not be visible if you are on the WebEx view. I'll start. Um, I don't need the first slide right away. First, I want to thank everybody for involved with this whole process. It is difficult, and uh, you're not going to make everybody happy. It's, it's kind of like making everybody the same shade of green type of thing. So. Uh, I'm going to come out with my ask right off. Uh, I encourage, encourage the uh, Planning Commission to recommend a change to the land use proposal so as to maintain existing three-story zoning on Maine and Thompson from, on Maine and Thompson from Seaward East to Catherine and on Maine from Brent to Dunning. And just keep in mind that, that um, uh, four stories can go to six and it's happening right now. Um, the first piece I'm talking about here is that between uh, Catherine, uh, seaward uh, to Catherine, uh, it's up on the slide. That's now zone three stories. It's being proposed to move, uh, increase it to four stories. Next, please. So I'm just a couple slides saying how much the uh, community wanted to maintain the uh, uh, present zoning. So in the uh, second bullet there, you can see maintain current zoning in the Midtown Quarters Development Code. 
uh, on the March 21st meeting, there's a statement, strong direction to maintain current zoning on both corridor corridors. Uh, next slide, please. This is pretty telling. It's a little hard to see, but the first graph is 61% one uh, didn't want to see any change in heights. 62% uh, want to maintain uh, mixed use to three stories, and 52% uh, want to maintain the base land use. And on a recent uh, survey, 73% disagreed with the increase in heights. So there's a lot of community. It's not a small amount, but quite a bit of community uh, opposition. Uh, next. So the other next section I wanted to talk about is uh, farther down on Maine. Um, David, go to the next, please. Yeah. Uh, farther down on Maine, uh, it's on the north side. It's from Brent to uh, Dunning. Uh, on the south, it's a little bit uh, larger. There's a huge uh, uh, housing tract on the south side that uh, this uh, that I'll talk about a little bit. But there's a uh, porter with houses on back right up to Maine. So I don't know why you'd want to increase the zoning there. Uh, the north side. Um, you're going to trap uh, that little triangle housing if you put up four stories there and if you go to six. I don't think that's good, and 66% disagree with that. Um, next, please. This is just two streets. Uh, I just wanted to show on the left, that's Porter. That's, a lot of people don't get down there. That runs parallel to Main, and the housing lot's on the right, back right up to Main Street there. And that's, and on the right is right uh, actually behind McConnell's ice cream uh, street runs up. And that's, you know, you can imagine getting trapped between whatever happens at the mall over there. So, and uh, next, just, and that's the size of that track on the south side, 1,633 properties, probably 5,000 people, some, some neighborhood uh, uh, low, on, on the north side neighborhood uh, restaurants, uh, a uh, coffee shop or something I think would be appropriate, but not four-story buildings. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Serrata. Our next speaker is Lisa Gassaway, followed by Bianca Bada. Hello, commissioners. Um, could you bring up the Johnson Drive map, please, while I discuss this? I, Somebody? I apologize. Um, I will not be able to. Give me one moment. I need to change some. Sure. Views. Okay. And I'm going to start with some general statements wait, anyway. So you can wait one moment while I oh, do that, okay. so I can do the timer. So you oh, get okay. full time. Thank, Thank you. you very much. Whenever you're ready. Okay, great. Thank you. So um, this morning we sent out a packet to all of the planning commissioners. This is something that we sent previously to GPAC. And um, this is from the Montavo District 6 Community Council. We participated in a lot of the GPAC meetings. We also engaged our community with our own study. We had about 76 respondents um, for that. Um, so, um, like some other folks mentioned, um, you know, we hope that you really take public comment into um, serious consideration. 
I don't think that um, we should whitewash all public comment as people don't like change because I think all of us in this room are trying to be cooperative and think of creative solutions to meet the RENA numbers. Um, and so I think the public comment is pretty important. Um, but Johnson Drive in particular is very complex. It has a lot of land use designations. Um, I felt that the GPAC um, struggled with it every time we were there um, trying to come up with some conclusions. So we actually drew up our own map. Um, and, um, and, then the, um, and then the fast track happened uh, where the city council already voted on the whole plan area one there. So I'm not going to go into any detail there because that has already been decided. Um, but I will say that a couple of things that came out in our survey was um, that, our, that the community, and this was also in your survey, didn't support uh, TOD or transit-oriented development. Um, the majority of folks did not support that. Everybody wants to put that there in Montalvo, but there are very few trains and there's no bus service there. There's three early in the morning and three at night and there's no plans to increase that. What we've heard, that all the focus of transit is in LA and not in Ventura. So it would be unfortunate to put uh, TOD there um, with no parking, for example. Um, Secondly, as everybody mentions, Johnson Drive um, on and off ramps and the traffic circulation is a big concern. There's going to be about 1,400 new housing units there after what everything was um, approved. So some general comments is to have a 250-foot buffer zone along the 101 because, as others point out, it's unfair to have housing and uh, where maybe most uh, lower income people would live right directly near the highway. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker is Bianca Bada, followed by Carol Spector. Hello, my name is Bianca Bada. Um, good evening, members of the Planning Commission. First, I want to echo the thanks um, for all the hard work on the general plan so far. Um, my home is situated on the north end of Midtown, of the Midtown Corridor, directly behind Main Street, where the GPAC is proposing to increase from mixed-use three to mixed-use four buildings. Um, the issue in, with this part of the proposal that I'm specifically concerned with is that all of our homes on Lexington Drive, behind Main Street, um, back up directly to the alleyway behind the um, Main Street, and therefore our backyards and all of our windows face directly towards the current commercial buildings. Um, when we moved in, we were okay with this mixed-use three zoning for the area since we felt like trees and hedges could really maintain our privacy, but changing this um, area to mixed-use four or four stories really changes the privacy of all the homes on this entire street. People in these buildings will be able to look down directly into our homes and into our daily lives. As a soon-to-be mom, um, the idea that we will lose this privacy as our family grows is really worrying to me, as you can understand. And I'm also not the only one. There's several young families on this street as well, um, with all of our backyards facing this direction. So generally, I'm, I'm, not con I'm not against change, but my concern is really about privacy and doing this right. Um, I just don't think it should be allowed anywhere in this plan 
to abruptly go from four-story mixed-use to single-family residential homes without a proper two-way um, two, two street in between or some kind of other gradual tapering as well as appropriate setbacks. I also, I, do, I think it's important to note that changing this area from mixed-use three to mixed-use four disproportionately affects our, specifically this little midtown neighborhood versus all the other ne neighborhoods east and west of um, this section of midtown. Um, I joined one of the general plan Q&A sessions um, a few weeks ago and expressed my concern. They advised me to get others in my neighborhood to take the survey and give the same feedback. I spent the next two weeks going door to door after work to talk to as many people in the neighborhood as I could and everyone I talked to was very much against this um, building height increase proposal and agreed they would complete the survey. As you can see from the results, um, it's clear that the vast majority of the public disagrees with the changes into the Midtown Corridor and all, over 90% are in favor of um, requirement for proper tapering and setbacks. So we did our part and now I urge you to listen to our concern and ask that the committee change this part of the proposal um, back to maintain mixed use three zoning in the Midtown Corridor. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Bada. Our next speaker is Carol Spector, followed by Dan Crawford. Um, I'm actually not going to do a lot of facts and figures tonight. I appreciate you getting into the weeds and all the different designations. Um, Scott Spencer mentioned that most designations are misleading. Um, you approved a 70-foot, six-story building in a place that's zoned for 3.25. Um, so we know those designations really don't hold. Whatever the reasons, um, they don't seem to hold. The traffic study is too late. Um, by the time all of this is approved and you've, everything's gone on, I think looking at the traffic isn't going to change anything. So I would like you to change the order of that. Um, I think the developers are determining our affordable housing policies right now. Building luxury housing with a few affordable units um, is not working. Uh, there was a young man, I was struggling with something in my driveway and he helped me and he was 20, 30 years old and he's lived here his whole life and he cannot afford to rent or buy here because of all the new projects that are way out of his price range. So we need to do real affordable housing that really meets our needs. And again, building these tall, dense luxury buildings is not helping. I think three cycles of RENA numbers is so short-sighted. It's funny, Christy said that and I thought, that's what I said. Um, changing laws, changing demographics will make these numbers moot. Developers will then have swooped in and received their approval on this big expanded RENA designation, and it will destroy our city for no reason. I'm a teacher, and I remember we needed school space, so they built all these schools, but by the time they built them, we didn't need the space anymore, and I'm afraid that's what's going to happen here. So um, I guess I'm asking for real designations that when it says three point, I voted for the three point, keep the downtown the same, but I went, what's the point? Because they're going to six stories anyway. Make it real. Make us see what we're voting for. Traffic study sooner. We need an affordable housing element that really serves people, and I think we should do one Rena cycle, not three. Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Spector. Our next speaker is Dan Crawford, followed by Melanie Petruskin. Good afternoon, Planning Commission. And I want to thank everyone with the, for the uh, uh, GPAC. I know, I know what kind of work it takes to put that together. 
Uh, my name is Dan Crawford. I'm a concerned Ventura voting resident. I moved my family here to Ventura 33 years ago because of the slow, responsible growth of each area, supported by the mayor, city council, and concerned Ventura voting residents. And at that time, we had approximately 94,000 people here. Approximately now, we have about 110,000. So that slow, responsible growth has been here. It's been proven. It works. <clears throat> but this proposal is saying approximately 10,600 10, to 15,900 more units at two people per unit. That's 21 to 31 percent increase population. Three per unit, 31 to 47 percent increase of population. And four, four people per unit, that's 42 to 63 percent approximately increase of population. That is not slow, responsible growth. We have a very, very uh, big problem with parking and safety of, of traffic congestion here in Ventura already. And what's already been approved and what's being, being constructed, you have not seen what, what it's really going to cause. And, and to say there's a traffic study for that, I don't believe it. I, I really don't believe that it was a, it was a adequate um, traffic uh, uh, study. Because you, you'll see when it's all built and, and when it's all occupied, what's going to happen there. And let's see here. Also, I'm glad I wrote this down. <laughs> okay, getting back to safety, I can only imagine the impacts of increased traffic congestion, deteriorated streets, and parking shortages. I don't see any parking structures in this proposal. Uh, there may be other ones uh, in the planning, but I think that that's, we need parking. I mean, everyone that lives here knows we need parking. It's not, a, it's not a surprise. In addition, I've been informed that the additional housing is requiring additional water. And because of that, we are being in, the, the concerned Ventura voting residents are going to be held accountable for at least $350 million in funds to pay for this water pier project that's going to purify, reclaim sewage water, and inject it back into our pure, into our underground aquifers and eventually become our drinking water. When, when we have a, a contract with the state of California with state water rights of 10,000 acre feet per year we've been paying for since 1971, which is over $50 million, we have not got one drop of that water because they have not put, have not installed the seven mile uh, pipeline that from Camarillo to Ventura. That's irresponsible. And, and because of all this housing, we need to, this water pure, re, re, a purifying reclaimed sewage water, and when we can get state water, we, we could be allocated 100% of that water. In Lake Aceta, same thing. They got a 10,000 acre feet per year uh, for the same thing we do. But instead, we are selling that water to a municipality in Riverside, and we have not got one drop of that water. We've paid over $50 million for that. And I think we need an audit for that, where all that money's at, and how it's being spent. Um, thank you for letting me share. Thank you, Mr. Crawford. Our next speaker is Melanie Petrushkin, followed by George Amendola. Good evening. Um, I second the, the concerns of the very first speaker. 
The current planning decisions do not consider nor reflect the majority of our residents and favor only affluent residents. Honestly, the city seems a little reckless in its current planning decisions. None of the new developments are affordable. The new apartments across the street from Cabrillo Middle School are currently on Zillow for $1.2 million for a two bedroom. That's a $7,000 a month mortgage. At 33% of income for a family, that's almost $300,000 a year. Most American families make $65,000 a year with two people working. I also second the concerns regarding traffic and emergencies. Many of our streets are only two lanes on each side. Another fire is going to happen. And we just had a big earthquake on Sunday, and it's on a very active fault that's capable of 8.0. It seems like we are just welcoming for 800 to 1,000 people to be burned alive in their vehicles, evacuating or drowned in a tsunami. My last comment has to do with the idea that um, it just seems weird to me that we have a 22-person GPAC that um, is not elected by constituents but is appointed by the city council that has the final voice and decides our city's future. Have these people been independently audited for conflicts of interest and in terms of their loyalties or connections to council members? The staff said in their presentation that voters are not allowed to vote on the general plan. So only 38 people, which includes the city council, the planning commission, the GPAC, and a community development director hold all the power to decide our city's future? How is that ethical? And how is that not concerning? Thank you. Thank you, Ms. Trishkin. Next is George Amadola, followed by Terrence Foley. Hi, good evening, everyone. To the members of the Planning Commission, I want you to know that I appreciate your volunteerism. Sometimes it can be a thankful role that you have. So thank you for um, all the work you're doing. Um, I hope this message finds you well. And as a concerned resident of Council District 2 within the city of Ventura, I wanted to express some significant concerns I have regarding the recent land use alternatives and GPAC survey conducted from September 6 to October 24, 2022. While I appreciate the initiative to gather community input, there were some crucial issues with the accuracy and methodology of the survey that I believe need to be addressed. First, there's a mismatch with voting districts. The data collected from the survey does not align with the established city council voting districts one through seven within the city of Ventura. This misalignment raises doubts about the representativeness of the responses and their relevance to the distribution of our community. Uh, two, lack of address and district information. The survey fails to provide information about respondents, addresses, zip codes in council districts. This absence of crucial demographic data undermines the credibility of the data results and their connection to specific areas within our city. Inclusion of non-residents and non-voters. Some survey respondents have indicated that they neither reside in the city of Ventura nor participate in local elections. This inclusion of non-residents and non-voters further, further diminishes the reliability of the survey data and its applicability to decision-making. 
It should be a quota-based approach, and that's needed. To ensure an accurate representation of our diverse community, the survey should have been structured with a quota-based methodology that accounts for responses from each council district. Such an approach would provide a balanced and more realistic overview of the community sentiments. There's an underrepresentation of Council District 1. The survey outcomes demonstrate an underrepresentation of respondents from Council District 1. There were a total of five Spanish respondents. This disparity in response, this disparity in response excuses the overall findings and prevents an equitable reflection of opinions from all districts. Uh, there's a potential of influence of special interest groups. There are indications that the survey results may have been influenced by special interest groups. The survey, this situation raises concerns about the authenticity of the survey's outcomes and their alignment with community perspectives. There are discrepancies with previous surveys. When comparing previous surveys, such as the Downtown Ventura Partners Main Street Move surveys with close to 10,000 respondents, and the GMPAC survey with a high abandon rate with just over 1,000 respondents, this highlights the inconsistencies in response rates. These discrepancies cast doubts on the reliability of the current survey. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Andal. Our next speaker is Terrence Foley, followed by Todd Mitchell. Good evening. Uh, my name is Terrence Foley. I'm, this is my first time speaking before the Planning Commission, so I don't really know the ropes. I don't pretend to understand all the balance between the, the different entities at the city. For So if I'm saying something to you tonight that perhaps is more appropriate to the City Council, please bear with me. But I, I'd like to thank, I, you know, along with everybody who's put in the work up here, I'd like to thank the people in the audience and for their for everything that they've done to, to provide comments tonight. We've seen City Council meetings lately where everybody in the room spoke one way and the City Council voted against it. So there's a point at which people say, well, are we really being heard? So what I'm going to say tonight is not going to approach, for instance, the, the preparation and gravity of the statements made by Christy Weir. Mine are going to be incidental and perhaps they'll have some value. But I know that when, we, when I, I live at the bottom of Seaward down in, in Pierpont, and I know that for some a development like Vista Del Mar, which apparently has not been completely put into balance with the, with the traffic impact and how much it's going to choke the, the Seaward corridor, because we've been living in a, in a paradise where that whole parcel up there has been virtually, because I, I've worked for, uh, for, the, for that business that's up there, and I know that the, the traffic load that's coming from that parcel now, a huge parcel, and we're getting used, we've been used to all these years for, for me, 69 years of not having a lot of traffic from that. And now the, the sudden change would be very dramatic. So the idea of the city fast tracking that development and not doing, not developing it in, in concert with other projects that are going to go on to the Seaward Corridor, that's a big concern. Uh, I know that in, um, in Santa Paula right now, the, they've got a, pro a project that, that what I was reading about last night that has 298 units, 166 of which are affordable. So when we see these projects coming on where people say, well, we've got to do this because we're going to pick up 14 units, there's got to be a better way to approach this where, where there's, a better, there's other options explored where it's not just the tail wagging the dog, where the developer says, well, that's the way we've got to do it. 
I'd like to encourage some provision where in these, in the decisions that are being made right now, where the downtown historic district is respected. In Santa Barbara, you, you can't build anything within a thousand feet of the mission that doesn't enhance the neighborhood. It's not a question of whether you can barely get away with it. It has to actually enhance the neighborhood. And then the last thing I'd like to say real quick is when it comes to the threat of a lawsuit, please consider that anybody can sue. So thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Foley. Our next speaker is Todd Mitchell. Mr. Mitchell, I have you as a panelist. You have control of your mic and camera. Hi there. Thank you very much. Uh, I wanted to come on uh, behalf of the Ventura Port District. Sorry, my light's all weird. Um, and to say thank you to Nazaire for coming to the Port District uh, back in March to provide an update on the general plan and the land use designation plans. Uh, the Port District uh, did submit a public comment uh, with uh, our recommendations, which uh, appear to be supported in the staff report. And if there were any questions from the planning commissioners, I'm available, but uh, generally supportive of uh, those inclusions. And thank you very much for your time this evening. Thank you, Mr. Mitchell. Our next speaker is Glenn Overly. Mr. Overly, I've made you a panelist. You have control of your mic and camera. Hi, Tracy, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Uh, commissioners, thanks for the opportunity to speak tonight. Commissioner Comden, thanks for a full three minutes. Over a year of GPAC meetings for the Planning Commission to basically recommend or approve GPAC's findings in the course of two meetings. This sounds a lot like the streamline ordinance. It's a big task and I don't envy any of you. I think Commissioner McCarty and Scott Spencer captured much of what I was going to say this evening. Please consider evacuation routes from fire and tsunami threats. It would seem more prudent to understand infrastructure improvements such as roads and escape routes first. Please remember the Thomas fire with District 1 and District 2 escape routes and issues with limited opportunities based upon the road structures now. And even since the Thomas fire, what have we really done to our infrastructure to change things? And then think of Common Day, Lahaina fire, very similar city to Ventura. Videos show burnt structures and ashes in close proximity to the ocean. Sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? Lahaina has hundreds of deaths, which will go up as search efforts continue. That could easily be us if we do not prepare our general plan properly to ensure proper infrastructure with escape routes for catastrophic events. Build more without traffic and escape routes could be disastrous. The Vista Del Mar site. Oh, let me back up for one minute. Strawberry Festival traffic. Do we all remember that? That's when the police department and traffic uh, officers are not out to control traffic flow. That's what a disaster looks like. And I'm sure District 1, uh, a lot of people there can tell you what it looks like during the Thomas fire. The light industrial 
area on Vista Del Mar should remain as is, light industrial. This will offer the jobs that everybody wants. Just a reality check, in Southern California, beach communities will always cost more to live in. That is just the harsh reality. Protect the citizens with infrastructure improvements first, then provide responsible building and design. The roadways and the escape routes to support development and provide safety to those currently living in Ventura. And I probably didn't say so, but um, I wanna give my support to the GPAC members for giving of their time to this community. I think this is a good starting point, but it needs a little bit of polish. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Overly. Our next speaker is Paul Sheehan. You have control of your mic and camera. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Oh, great. Good evening. I'm Paul Sheehan with Dyer Sheehan Group in Ventura. And first, I want to thank Planning Commission, GPAC members, community development staff, the city consultants, and the public for the extensive time and effort that's been devoted to this general plan update process. It's been an amazing effort. I'm here tonight representing the owners of the six acre site at 6205 Ventura Boulevard, which is directly south of and adjacent to the East Ventura Metrolink station. Most of you know this site from its old metal buildings and giant stylized lemon as seen from the northbound 101 freeway between Johnson and Victoria. The owners purchased this property in 2017 with the goal of total redevelopment. The buildings are 50 to 70 years old, and they're in continual need of costly repairs and well beyond their useful life. The owners are fully supportive of GPAC's recommended mixed-use for land use designation on their property, and for the past two years have been working with our firm and Humphreys Partners Architects to study the site and assess its redevelopment potential as a transit village. Additionally, We've engaged in ongoing discussions with um, community development staff, GPAC members, and city council members regarding general plan update and land use priorities. We've also had preliminary discussions with senior Metrolink staff who expressed enthusiasm regarding the potential for increased Metrolink demand and Gold Coast Transit regarding its vision for a new express bus line along Ventura Boulevard between Johnson and Victoria with a bus stop serving the Metrolink station. Assignment of the mixed use four designation would allow a wide range of potential uses, <clears throat> including a new transit oriented multifamily rental community with ample amenities, open space and on-site parking in conformance with city requirements. Our current preliminary concept includes conventional apartments, three-story townhome units, and 1,500 square feet of ground floor retail. Additionally, 15% of the units would be designated affordable, helping to increase the city's affordable rental housing supply. This development concept represents a potential $150 million investment in Ventura. And for those concerned with building heights, Note that the existing grade elevation of the site is 25 feet lower than the northbound 101 freeway across Ventura Boulevard 
and the nearest residential buildings are 180 feet away across the railroad tracks in Nightingale Street. So on behalf of the property owners, I respectfully urge Planning Commission to accept GPAC's recommendation of mixed use four for 6205 Ventura Boulevard. Thank you, Mr. Sheehan. Thank you. Our next speaker is Carba. You have control of your mic and camera. Hey everyone, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Awesome, thank you. Um, hey, Matt, Netta, commissioners. Um, similar to Terrence and a few others, this is my first time joining a planning commission meeting. Um, I honestly didn't feel like putting my shoes on, so I'm doing it from home. Um, I am Carba. I'm an East Side District 6 resident that is actively on the General Plan Advisory Committee. Um, with Chair Comden, Commissioner McCarty, Louise, Stephanie, and so many others. It has been a journey and I have learned so much about this city. Um, but just a few comments just based on tonight. I feel like every meeting I learned something new and so many neighbors come out. Um, I feel like we should continue one. I feel like we should continue to emphasize the difference between an endorsement and an adoption. I think that's why there's always so much tension and anxiety. Like, But there's still, I mean, from my understanding, there's still a year of changes ahead of us. Um, even at times I think this is over, but it's clearly not. Um, we still have the evacuation study, the circulation traffic study, the environmental impact report. All of those things change the map, right? Like this is like iPhone versions. By the end of this, we'll be on like general plan version 13 or 14. Um, but uh, commissioners, in terms of guiding the discussion tonight and tomorrow night, thank you so much for doing it. Um, it is easy to fall down rabbit holes um, <laughs> from all the meetings we've done. Um, so use the agreement document table that Remy provided, um, but don't use the 60% majority. Um, just use like a simple majority of 50, over 50%. So that would get you down to like 11 areas to discuss. And there's some clear ones that really need to be discussed. Um, I think to Bianca's comment, Midtown needs to be looked at more closely again. Um, only 22% agreed with that. So definitely go through that. Um, the college area uh, west of Ventura Community College had um, only 36% agree, so definitely discuss. Um, Johnson, I, um, I live right by it. I'm personally a huge train advocate and I love Metrolink. Um, I take it to downtown LA to work occasionally, but after hearing all the comments from my neighbors about the real environmental impacts of proximity to, to um, highways, and housing, I think that should be reconsidered. Um, look at that buffer that they all recommended, um, which is again why we're doing the environmental impact report. So theoretically that would be in that, um, and then that would uh, incorporate in the map. Um, and then lastly, just uh, transparency on the density bonus, like make sure in the document there's a map that shows what the heights could look like if the density bonus was involved, just so folks can see and they can like understand what over the next 25, 30 years at like the highest, most extreme, like even an interactive map would be interesting online where folks can change the parameters themselves and see what it would look like. Um, so yeah, that's my thoughts for tonight. Thank you all for being here um, and commenting and everything. Thank you, Carba. Our next speaker is Andy Raleigh. You have control of your mic and camera. Andy Raleigh, you are a panelist. You have control of your mic and camera. Hello. We can hear you. 
Good evening. Hi. Hello. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, yes we can. Okay, great. Uh, the careful guidelines that the City of Ontario and its citizens spent years crafting, um, specifically the downtown specific plan, but other city corridor plans as well, uh, to address and preserve the unique character and issues of growth we are facing today, uh, I don't think are being taken as seriously as they were intended. Seem to be more of a minor inconvenience to whoever wants to sell the city on their vision of what the city needs. And the city appears to be more than willing to roll over to accommodate. Uh, I think allowing more stories and disregarding the very tool these crafted plans address the present issue of growth in designated high restricted areas and is an insult to the city planners, previous councils and citizens who worked tirelessly to leave this tool to navigate today's changing environment. If you allow more stories in these plans allowed, developers are going to go for the density bonus and demand to go higher as per the state requirements. So three is going to go to four, six is going to go to eight, and there's nothing really to stop them. You need to hold the developers accountable for what they offer in their initial approved plans, and the city needs to be accountable for what the end result may be. Uh, when a developer can change the original plan that was approved, then opt out of the required number of affordable units by paying in lieu of fee, for not building the required units because it doesn't work out for the bottom line. Um, who is the city representing in that scenario? Um, according to staff, among the eight newest projects between Ventura High School and Ventura Avenue, none of them meet the 15% city required income restricted units. Um, I hope my numbers are incorrect, but all are below 10% or at 10%. Um, so, Couple questions I'd like to know is can you tell us how many affordable units were not built because of the arrangement since the adoption in 2004? And also, how much money has a city received from developers in lieu of fees to not build those units and where do the funds end up? Um, in closing, I just want to uh, say please implement the established downtown Pacific plan requirements and other established zone requirements as they stand especially enforce the required minimum income restricted units on these developments. Uh, the city wrote these rules and now is the time to implement them. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Raleigh. Our final speaker tonight is Sherry Egbert. Good evening, Planning Commission. Tonight, I listened to a robust discussion about land use as it relates to housing and commercial industrial uses. There is a discussion on density, building heights, with an acknowledgement that traffic impacts will come into the equation soon. I'd like to expand the conversation holistically because the built environment is also going to become your social policy in concrete. The way we build cities affects the way we connect or disconnect as a society. You have a huge responsibility. You have the ability to help us become healthier, happier, and well-connected society, or a more stressed, lonely, and rushed society. The interconnection of housing, the ease of multiple-use transportation corridors, and connection to nature cannot be underestimated. You have a huge responsibility, and we put our trust in you. 
How do we create a healthy, vibrant community that will attract families for the next 50 years? I'm hoping you have the same vision that I do, that this won't be just come a retirement community and a place for second homes. Create a community that values health and happiness. Did you know our Surgeon General calls for structural changes in the way we design our cities? He says that people are lonely, and the way we have built recently is contributing to that. One important primary factor is the ability to walk to a green space within a 10-minute walk to get physical exercise easily and spontaneously. Ventura is an older city and unplanned, so historically our schools have served as places for community to play and recreate. I don't know if you were a kid, but I played at my elementary school and it kept me safe and off the streets, much safer than an alley. The Trust for Public Land advocates to be equitable. People should be able to walk within 10 minutes to a green space. I'm requesting the city use what's in our own backyard and have shared joint agreements with schools where there's no park nearby. And it's much less expensive than trying to build something and there's no space. And this is a national trend. These can be formal written documents or informal based on historical practice according to saferoutepartnerships.org, which includes endorsements by Change Lab Solutions, the American Heart Association, the YMCA, and the National Board of Education. The goal is to increase opportunity for physical activity, and they believe it's important to seek solutions that maximize the use of community assets and provide families a safe place to go, and this creates greater cohesion and actually a safer, more vibrant community. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Ms. Egbert. Chair Condon, that concludes our public speakers. Very good, thank you. <clears throat> I am going to close the public meeting. And uh, we've been at this for three hours. Uh, I'm going to suggest we take a five minute break, then come back and begin our deliberation in the order that it was presented in the uh, document summary table. Uh, go for an hour and see where we are at 10 o'clock. Uh, unless you have any other suggestions, Commissioner? Um, so you're talking about returning and go in the order? Yeah, I, I think because it's laid out uh, pretty succinctly here. Now, some of these areas will go rather quickly. Others will take some time. Uh, so, so I was going to propose that yeah. we, we uh, proceed with uh, Matt Ramey's suggestion to perhaps knock out the three first in which there is widespread agreement between the GPAC and the public, namely the SOAR areas, west side and east side. Those might be easy wins to get us, uh, get okay. us going at this late hour. Yeah, that's good. So, a suggestion. I'm, I, I'm, with, I'm with that. Okay. So let's take five minutes and uh, we'll be right back.
We are back. So now, the public meeting has been closed. It is deliberation time. And uh, af after consulting, ladies and gentlemen in the gallery, please join us or go outside and continue your conversation. Thank you. Um, we're going to tackle uh, some of the um, areas that may be easier to have a discussion and conclusion on first, starting with SOAR, then east side, then downtown. All right, commissioners, on the topic of the SOAR areas, what comments do you have? And uh, if you can use the request to speak button, that would be helpful. Commissioner Abbey. Yeah, I wanted to know on the... Um Oh, point of order. Um, we're going to get into a variety of things. Is there someone who's, will you be taking notes on this? Um, you will. Okay, very good. Because we'll come to conclusions, then we'll ask you to kind of repeat what we've said and then package it. Ideally, we will come to a conclusion on each of these topics, finalize our thought, this is our recommendation in this area, then move on to the next area. And All right. Chair Comden, if we could take a roll call when we do kind of solidify a direction on an area and then take a roll call and see where the Planning Commission officially stands. Will do. Very good. All right. I'm sorry. Continue, no, Commissioner okay. Abbey. Um, I don't remember which uh, document it is, but I have it in my hand. It uh, shows all the areas in town that are areas of discussion or under consideration. Um, it lists item number 17. Uh, not as obvious, so, sorry. Uh, or 18, SOAR areas. And uh, yeah, I think it's the staff report. And uh, my question was there was a uh, diagram of land in Midtown, sort of bordering on Pierpont, up on the slope, uh, behind, uh, south of Channel Drive, uh, north of the freeway, and between residential, east of uh, where the credit union, Ventura County Credit Union has its admin offices. And so when we have our discussion about SOAR, are we talking about that, or are we only talking about these items that were came out on the last drop uh, on the agenda today, the last supplemental that are, are just in the East End? Um, if I may um, answer that, um, Commissioner Abbey, we're only talking about these areas that you see on the map here. So each of the maps um, and the areas is keyed to the areas of discussion that were identified for that specific area. The area you're referring to is part of Pierpont. Um, that came out through the process that um, the original survey um, on the alternatives had that area as a potential area um, for development. It got moved out of the process, so it's not being considered. Okay, um, and so good. we are only talking about these areas um, that you see here on the map. That answers my question. Thank you. Anyone else? Uh, Commissioner Zucker. I'll just say quickly, I think SOAR is great. It's one of the things that makes our community unique. And, you know, 
part of the the balance with that is it it means we also have to do infill development of housing if we're gonna you know preserve our our farmland and open space and so um, yeah support the support the staff recommendation here and I think it has implications for you know the other other areas we're thinking about. Commissioner Abbey. Well, I think it's important to, for me to at least state how I feel about it and so at least comment. I, I don't think it's good to sit silent and just let things go through. So I'll comment on each uh, area. So I agree with Commissioner Zucker that 86.48% uh, public response was positive on the high level direction and on the low level or detailed direction 73.86 and Personally, after hearing all the speakers and, and so forth, I'm in agreement with what's on the SOAR map there. Very good. Any other comments? Oh, Commissioner McCarty. I, I fully concur with the previous two commissioners that spoke. I see no reason to go against the GPAC nor the public input and make any changes to the, to the SOAR areas. All right. Thank you. So uh, my comment is uh, I'm in agreement with uh, the two previous comments. Um, this is in the county SOAR. And one of the things that trouble me is um, if it were to ever come to a vote, it would be amongst the county voters. Uh, and since this is a long-term vision document, I would prefer the SOAR to be within the city so that the city of Ventura voters would be able to vote on it, as opposed to people in Simi Valley or Thousand Oaks that really have no vested interest in what occurs in this city as much as the, the citizenry here. So my question to staff is, can we make a recommendation that it be part of a consideration at some time in the future for the city to try and win this from the county so that it is city sore? Um, thank you, Chair Comden. That That's a complex topic. We'd have to call and talk to LAFCO of what that would look like to do that. Obviously, to take it from the county into the city, even though it's in our sphere of influence, would require annexation, um, which, uh, you know, we haven't been able to get in touch with LAFCO to talk about that process right. and what that would right. mean. But um, it's within our purview if the commission sees fit and we're in agreement in, in general principle that is something that we would recommend to council? Uh, we, you could recommend to council for any of the sites in the sphere of influence for annexation. Yeah, okay. Um, any comments on, on that particular item? Commissioner Farley. I agree with you, Chair Comden, about um, the annexation idea. Um, I know it might be complicated and might not be something that happens quickly. Um, but being a resident on the east end of town, um, we see a lot of things that happen in the county that we have no control over. Mm -hmm. um, in particular, um, improvements along the railroad there that were made and they don't have bike safety implementation there. Um, our neighborhood is communicating about that. So bringing that into our city would give us more control and, and ability to spend money in that area that otherwise is an island. So I agree with you. All right. Commissioner Busa. Absolutely agree that decisions affecting the residents of our community should be 
um, handled by the residents of our community and we definitely support a, a recommendation to have uh, that considered by council. All right. Any other comments on that topic? Commissioner McCarty? Well, it's just my own thought that my, my feeling is that the sore areas would more likely remain as they are under a county vote than a city vote. I think with the pressures we have in the city that we're discussing tonight, it would be more likely that we would lose the sore spaces if they were annexed to the city than if they remain under county control. Could you expound on that, why, why you think that way? My view, my, my hunch, is that residents outside of our city within the county would envision the sore spaces as green spaces that uh, a, a generic green space within the county and uh, would be inclined to retain those. Once they come under city control, there's much, much more pressure to develop those areas than if they remain strictly under county control. The county has, my hunch again, the county would have no interest in ever developing those areas that are in the middle of the contiguous part of Ventura City. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just playing the probabilities here in my head that I think we would have a greater chance of losing the sore areas by annexing them than to uh, allow them to remain under county control. Um, let me ask you this. Do you care about open space in Simi Valley as much as you do in the city you live? So, if the city of Simi Valley, I, and I don't know what their, their uh, what source spaces they have, if it were a county vote on the ballot that said Simi Valley wants to annex the source spaces, I would vote no as a resident of Ventura, which is what I'm projecting on the voters outside of our city as thinking about um, our source bases within the city. So, so my first gut reaction hunch would be to retain source bases in Simi Valley mm -hmm. as a resident of Ventura. Retain it. It's part of the county. Retain it okay. rather than develop it. Interesting. Personal, personal view. Okay. Very good. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. Yeah, I think uh, I think it, as it's protected now by SOAR, I don't think we need to change how it's protected. I, I think it's fine as is. We want to protect SOAR. It sounds like that's what GPAC is doing. I, I don't find it necessary to change it from county to city SOAR. And I think it's protected j just fine the way it is. Okay. So um, I haven't been through a process quite like this before because these are informal items. Uh, do we take vote on things or do we do a, show an indication of some sort? How, how does that happen? 
We would like to take a roll call vote just to make sure we understand where everybody lies in the full council. We can pass it on. You don't have to come to consensus. Again, this is a recommendation that's moving forward. We can explain kind of if there was a split for the planning commission. Um, so if, if the planning commission is a point where they feel like somebody wants to make a recommendation and then we call a roll call on it and then we can kind of see where everyone lies. If there's consensus, great. That, you know, like with the GPAC and, you know, the public, when there's clear consensus, that does help the next step, but it's not necessary for right. this, this right. piece. Okay. Um, uh, Chair Comden? Yes, uh, Vice Chair, please. Um, so I, I, just to state kind of my position, I, I'm going to have to agree with uh, Commissioner McCarty and Commissioner Abbey. I, I would agree that... <laughs> that county residents would probably be more likely to keep it in in SOAR. Um, and so I just wanted to make sure that was clear and we need to, you know, I just don't want to get into a position where we, I have to vote no depending on how the, you know, the, um, the uh, motion is stated. So I just want to make sure that was clear. Okay, thank you. Other commissioners, uh, Commissioner Zucker. I think I have to, you know, agree with the analysis for a different reason about um, county voters being more likely to keep it in SOAR. Um, you know, and, and uh, my reason as someone who's, you know, worked on my fair share of political campaigns, um, you know, is less about, you know, whether I think the average voter, you know, would see something like that on the ballot and I don't know, <laughs> know how to vote, right? But or generally be just overall pro-SOAR, anti-SOAR, but I think a lot of political campaigns is influenced by the, the amount of resources it takes to, to run a campaign, and I think it takes a lot of resources and money and effort to win a countywide ballot initiative, um, and not so much to win a citywide ballot initiative. So, you know, I, I would say if I was a developer wanting to develop something, I'd be like, wow, I, I don't know if it's really worth it to, to spend all this money to win a countywide ballot initiative just to develop this little chunk of land where a citywide ballot measure may be a little more viable, right? Um, so I, I think I'd agree with the analysis that it's, if, if moved into the city, it might be more, more likely to be, um, be developed and less, yeah, less likely to stay within, you know, within kind of a sore protected area. But, I'm open-minded on it, but that's my two cents. Okay, very good. Um, so that's my only comment there. I mean, the straw poll appears that there's four that favor as is, and three that I would like to see the city explore. Any other comment on that? Uh, I, I think the consensus is that we all want to keep sore, sore, kind of, right. you know, so okay. um, our means about going how we do that. We just want to ensure, like, that it stays protected. And so... Um, I do like uh, Commissioner Zucker's um, um, theory. And, yeah. It is more difficult to do it uh, if it's a countywide vote. Therefore, the barrier for change is greater. Okay. Yes. Well, I'd like to recommend we accept uh, staff's recommendation on this to make no changes to the sore areas. Very good. Um, this doesn't require a, a, a second, does it? We can just take a vote, or should we proper protocol? Probably better to just pro proper protocol and do a second and take a roll call. Very good. I agree. Uh, do we have a second? A second. Okay. Commissioner Abbey does so. Well, let's take a, uh, a roll, please. Commissioner Abbey? Yes. Commissioner Busa? Yes. Commissioner Farley? Yes. 
Commissioner McCarty? Yes. Commissioner Zucker? Yes. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Yes. Chair Compton? Yes. That motion carries. That's great. One of 11. Let's move on to the east side now. Um, I'm going to clear the queues. And uh, just a quick recap there was consensus from the GPAC and the public on um, changing these um, land use designations. Very, very good. Uh, Commissioner Zucker. Um, just want to say I, I like this as well, and I, you know, I particularly like the shift from, from mixed use to uh, neighborhood center in order to conserve some retail. I mean, I think in some parts of our communities, retail is struggling, and there's a need to, to you know, allow flexibility shift to residential. But I, I do think on the east side, you know, there's a real lack of <laughs> retail, actually, and, and, you know, not enough just basic things like grocery stores because so much of the east side is, is residentially zoned, and I think preserving you know, some of those shopping centers as, as places where you've got some retail is, this is probably the one place in the city where I think it's actually really important to conserve mm -hmm. some uh, commercial zoning. Very good. Commissioner Busa? As a resident of the east side, I definitely concur with uh, Commissioner Zucker on that. I think we need to maintain um, and establish areas where retail can occur and be promoted. I also think the stepping down of the heights is smart given its adjacency to single family residencies uh, on, on all sides of these uh, identified properties. Very good. Commissioner Farley. And I'd just like to um, echo the same concerns um, about that area having um, limited commercial activity. You have to drive anywhere in town to, to do any shopping and I live very close to one of these shopping centers. Um, there's also a direct need for some of these shopping centers to have revitalization, so focusing on these as neighborhood um, center, I think, is important to make sure that we focus on them being commercial rather than something that might never be built, which is mixed use on some of these sites, so I agree. Very good. Commissioner Abbey. Um, I'm going to agree with uh, Commissioners Busa and Farley. Um, so the number one, the shopping centers, all three of those those are mostly step downs, but it does incorporate housing that's needed, and that's a smart way to do it. Uh, number two, that's in a spot that has been having drive-throughs proposed for a long time, and I think this is a much better use, and I think it's uh, much more sensitive to the neighbors, neighbors especially where it's located, and uh, I, I think it's a, a good use. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that, uh, in general, just an aside, I, I'm hoping that all areas of the town of town will take their fair share of housing. I'm not sure that that's the case here, but from at least what is up being proposed, I agree with. Thank you. All right. Very good. Vice Chair, any comments? No, no additional comments. All right. Commissioner Busa? No? All right. I'm in agreement. Um, I think this is a, a pretty good plan. 
And uh, it looks like the community is uh, largely engaged with it as well. So do I have a motion to accept this as written? Commissioner Farley? Second? I'd like to recommend that we support the GPAC's recommendation on this particular one. Very good. Do we have a second? Second. Okay, Commissioner Busa. Madam Clerk, please take the roll. Commissioner Abbey? Yes. Commissioner Busa? Yes. Commissioner Farley? Yes. Commissioner McCarty? Yes. Commissioner Zucker? Yes. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Yes. Chair Condon? Yes. That motion carries. Very good. Okay, let's move to downtown. Are you ready, Commissioner Busa? Jump in. All right. Uh, my uh, one comment here is regarding the, the uh, properties adjacent to the ocean that are identified as CTO towards the bottom of the page. Uh, that's where our current parking structure for the beach is located. Um, the change is identified as this being CTO designation, which is capped at 30 feet and two and a half stories. Um, the current structure, parking structure and its location is four and even sometimes five stories. Mm. Um, I've, and there's been many discussions and conversations over the years about uh, freeway capping and extending the, um, the downtown towards our beach and connecting our beach to our downtown. Uh, if, if we are limiting to that size, um, the development won't be feasible for that area. Um, which would limit the ability to have that sort of connectivity, which I know locals in our community uh, have, have put a lot of time and, and thought to over the years. Uh, so I would ask council to consider um, a reconsideration of Coastal Mixed Use 5 for that designation instead of CTO for those particular spots. Um, again, they're the red ones, correct, where that, yeah, exactly, looking at the screen. Mm -hmm. That's my comment. Thank you. Good comment. Other comments? Commissioner Zucker. Yeah, I, um, I mean, the, the main change here is in the Mission Plaza Shopping Center. Yeah, that's, that's very close to where I live. I, um, you know, I do think that I like similar to, to the east side. I mean, certainly we have a lot more commercial on the on the west side, but you know that is kind of the main grocery store, you know, hub hub for the west side. And I think it's it's smart to do neighborhood center instead of instead of mixed use. Um, yeah, I wouldn't honestly. I wouldn't mind seeing you know a little more housing density in downtown. I think you know that's that's kind of what a what a downtown is for. But um, you know, I'm not. Uh, yeah, I think I think we have a decent amount of density there. And I know there's been a lot of uh, community pushback on that. So I don't, you know, I don't need to, you know, uh, die on that hill. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, yeah, Commissioner Moose's point um, is interesting around the, um, yeah, the, the kind of CTO uh, on, the, on the beach. I mean, I think that would definitely steer towards potentially housing rather than hotels, um, which is, you know, a, a very different choice for, you know, what we want our, our waterfront to be. Um, you know, to be honest, I think housing that's built on the waterfront is probably going to be, you know, super expensive luxury housing and hotels, I, you know, they bring in some tourism, but I think a lot of the jobs sometimes they create are low wage jobs anyway. And, you know, to be honest, I don't feel that, that enthusiastic about either, either of those things. So it's just, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm open-minded to what, what other, other commissioners think on that. Yeah. Commissioner Abbey. 
Um, I'm in favor of what is uh, presented um, by GPAC and, and staff. It looks like it's in the yellow, but I think for the same reasons that uh, we supported the east side with a neighborhood center, I, I'm in support of this here. Um, it's already a, a shopping center and uh, to make better use of the parking and we need the housing. I think that's a good use, especially since up the, uh, up the way we're going to be decreasing some density, which, well, we'll I'll talk about West Side when we get there. Um, I do have a question regarding um, the CTO. So that looks like it's directly down from City Hall. So, uh, so is, is uh, Commissioner, can I ask Commissioner Busa a question? Uh, Commissioner Busa, is that CTO, is that where the um, Crown Plaza is? Correct. It's the existing parking structure. So if you were to take California Street all the way straight downtown, you're going to run into the parking structure on the left hand of the side, and then you're going to be Crown Plaza to the right. So, um, yeah. so are you talking about the property um, west of the continuation south of uh, California Street or to the east? So, well, both are currently designated in that spot. I, I mean, I wouldn't imagine that oh, west of uh, California thing. would get redeveloped since it's uh, the Crown Plaza, but I could imagine that the parking structure, which is failing and has been noted as needing to be um, taken down or redone, if we were uh, to limit it to the, the CTO designation, it may be underserving that area. Um, can I ask staff a question? Uh, let's see, Steph, um, Netta, uh, Netta um, so I'm looking at the draft land use designations. So CTO is commercial tourist oriented, up to 2.5 stories, 30 feet tall. It says it's a coastal designation for visitors serving commercial retail, including hotel, restaurants, retail shops, and strip commercial. Is that essentially what we already have there on the ground, or is that what we're hoping to see? So you do, in the sense that the Crown Plaza is a hotel and commercial tourist um, serving, the other site is a public parking structure, which again is serving to commercial um, tourism. Okay. Um, and, and also to be clear, that's the existing land use designation right now. So there was no change right. proposed. Right. just want to clarify okay. by the GPEC. And Commissioner Buza, you were suggesting a mixed, coastal mixed use five. Is that correct? That's what I had had wrote in my note, my notes over the weekend. <laughs> okay, I just want to yes. make sure I heard you correctly. Okay, so just so the public and our fellow commissioners know, because I'm getting used used to this as well. So that would be up to five stories, 65 feet tall, higher density mixed use corridor, around urban urban environment, limited areas of the city. Buildings can be residential over retail, okay, or just residential commercial or just residential, retail, office mix, townhomes, live work. Um, do, does whatever we propose tonight have ramifications for the local coastal plan? All, all of this would have to be part of the local coastal program and would be part of the next steps that we discuss with the Coastal Commission about any land use changes in the coastal zone. Okay. Um, so my suggestion would be that we accept 
I'm not making a motion because I think we need to hear from all the commissioners. Just my personal opinion. I think we definitely need to accept number one. I would be very cautious about changing anything else for the downtown. And that's my comment. Thank you. Commissioner Zucker. So I already made my comments, but as we started looking at that area in more detail, I, I saw something that was a little concerning to me. Um, at the, the other little island of red that's CTO, the, the area where I think you know, it's been a hotel under consideration for a long time, right now there's a, there's a park space called Promenade Park that you know, is adjacent to the, the promenade. You know, it's, a, it's a green space. It's, you know, um, and uh, it, it seems to be, zone, I guess maybe it's already zoned for, um, for a commercial tourist oriented. Does that, does that mean a development could theoretically take away that public park space and you know, build it into part of a hotel? Yeah, Commissioner Zucker, you raise a good point. Let me look at that closer to see if that's CTO or if that's open space. I have a feeling it is CTO. Um, uh, the parcels next to it are a proposed hotel. The city does um, operate that park space right now. So let me just take a closer look and I can get back to you tomorrow about that. Great. I mean, personally, I would feel pretty strongly about retaining that park space. I think there's, you know, limited public space along the promenade and our, you know, our beach. And, you know, I think we should keep it public. Um, if anything, I'd love to see it expanded. <laughs> you know, I'd love to see if there was a hotel like a, you know, hey, let's negotiate for some sort of community benefits. Let's have them expand the park and, you know, make some investments into it, you know, in exchange for using that really valuable space. So, um, but at the very least, I'd, I'd really want to retain that um, space as, as public space. Very good. Commissioner Farley. Um, I want to note that I um, agree with the number one Vaughn Shopping Center um, designation for neighborhood centers. Same logic for the east side of town. I think it serves a significant purpose for folks that live in that area. Um, other than the small um, shops that are on the avenue, there aren't really any other commercial um, grocery stores that side of town. Um, I am curious about the change near the pier. Um, but I would like more study. I think changing something like that now after two years of doing a lot of outreach with the public without any sort of communication about it might be a little late in the game, unfortunately, um, because that would be a significant change. And I know that I've been watching what's happening down at the beach for several years. So um, I think it's interesting, and I think the, the city council might be able to study it, but I'm not sure that the timing works as far as this process goes. But I do recommend number one. Vice Chair? Oh, uh, yes, Vice Chair. Hey, thank you. Um, so, like all others, I would agree with the uh, the number one change to the neighborhood center for all the reasons stated. I, I will disagree with changing the CTO. Um, you know, I think the vision is to create a, and it's very difficult with the one on one. And that interchange, um, as I understand it, is is going to be reconstructed. And the idea is to connect the beach to the downtown. And I, I think having, you know, retail space and so forth in that in that area as opposed to a hotel is going to serve the community better as far as a beach connection. So I, I would disagree with uh, changing from CTO. All right. Thank you. Commissioner McCarty. Uh, 
I do agree with the uh, proposed change in the Vons, the Mission, Mission Plaza Shopping Center. And uh, I agree with uh, uh, Commissioner Abbey and Vice Chair Lagerquist that we need to be extremely leery and cautious about changing the, the CTO designation next to the, uh, the beach area there for, the, for kind of a different reason. Um, the, the life span of our general plan may take us out to the year 2050 or so. And during that time frame, we're going to be spending likely millions of dollars on managed retreat for sea level rise right in that area. Uh, that's, that's the f we're already losing land there on Shoreline Drive. Uh, and I think that area is going to be the first part of the city that's going to be um, uh, at high risk of being underwater conceivably within the time frame of the general plan. So I would, I would uh, not be, uh, I, I would advise against uh, MU, uh, coastal MU5 or anything other than the CTO as it already exists there. Very good. I'm in agreement with exactly what you just said uh, on both fronts uh, regarding the Vaughn Center. And um, if, you're, if you go down to uh, the promenade, you'll see a, several poles that will show sea level rise estimates. And uh, as we last considered at the last meeting, uh, the new horizon for homes built on the beach is now 50 years. Um, that's, that has everything to do with uh, sea level rise and nothing to do with current construction techniques. So I'd be very leery to, uh, to ask for larger buildings or, or more growth right along the coast there myself. So with that, um, further comment? Commissioner Zucker? I was just going to make a motion, but if someone has comment. No other, no other comments. Uh, I'd like to move that we accept the GPAC recommendation with the caveat of, of looking into the Promenade Park area and, and keeping that as uh, park space. Take a second. Okay, we have a first and second. Let me just make a comment. I, I would love for us in this document to continue to suggest that the city put their foot on the gas pedal to try and get the Oak Street um, uh, exit uh, accomplished because right now the main exit to our downtown is one of the most dangerous intersections I've ever driven on and um, the cut and cover uh, or capping of the freeway is a long term but it's a, a worthy goal that 50 75 years from now if it can be done will be transformative to the city reconnecting with the the waterway and make it even greater than it is now I don't know if there's a place to do that but I just thought I'd put that on the record so anyway, we have a first and a second. Let's take a vote. Commissioner Abbey? Yes. Commissioner Busa? Yes. Commissioner Farley? Yes. Commissioner McCarty? Yes. Commissioner Zucker? Yes. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Yes. Sorry. Chair Comden? Yes. That motion carries. Three down. Now we move to the west side. would like to begin the discussion? Commissioner Zucker. I've got a lot to say. Neighborhoods near and dear to my heart. So, you know, if you all will bear with me, I know that um, a lot of this here, you know, came to, to consensus within the GPAC. And I think there's a lot of it that I, I really like. I, I 
think the VUSD site is a huge opportunity. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love, I'm, I'm really hopeful that because that's actually public land, maybe we can really get some significant affordable housing there, um, not just kind of a, a market rate development. Um, you know, and I'd love to see a partnership with the school district to, to try to do that. Um, but I think either way, it's, you know, it's illogical. Unfortunately, our, our school district's shrinking. <laughs> um, you know, our student enrollment is dropping because families can't afford to live here. And so, you know, the VUSD is losing, you know, is wanting to give up space because they, they don't need it anymore, right? Um, you know, I, I think the, um, yeah, the, the down zoning of, of some of the six-story along the avenue, it's interesting that it's been zoned since the last general plan for six-story, and there's been no six-story actually built, you know, which I think maybe hopefully will give many of us a little peace of mind of that the zoning doesn't always mean that, you know, all of that stuff is going to come through. But, um, you know, it, I think there was, a, there was a little bit last general plan of maybe let's, like, just kind of dump all the six-story on the avenue and in Montal Montalvo, and, you know, um, and I think this version of the general plan more smooths that throughout the city, um, you know, and I think that, that has some logic to it. Um, you know, the, the place that I want to kind of differ from the, the GPAC and, you know, um, folks who have been on the commission with me, you know, know this is, has been a passion of mine and, um, and something that, that, you know, I feel strongly about and that I think a lot of, you know, residents of the West Side feel, feel strongly about is the, is the incompatible land uses between some of the, the heavy industrial and, and residential. I mean, you can see there the, the way that, you know, yeah, heavy industrial sites just, you know, butt right up against, uh, you know, um, homes and, and schools and residential uses that's kind of come to a head in the past couple of years, uh, you know, with, with the SoCal gas compressor, uh, you know, controversy in the, in the community, um, you know, but, but yeah, I want to kind of talk about what that really means for, for people who, who live on the West side. I mean, my, um, my daughter attends daycare, my three-year-old daughter, um, right up against that heavy industrial zoning. It's, it's in the backyard of the, the home-based, you know, um, uh, childcare center that, that she goes to, uh, you know, and, and just reading what's allowed in the industrial and what is really only allowed in the heavy industrial because that's the place we are designated for it, you know. Um, toxic, hazardous, or explosive materials may be produced or used in large quantities and could cause impacts on nearby properties such as noise, gas, odor, dust, or vibration. You know, includes manufacturing for cosmetics and perfumes, electrical appliances and explosives, apparel and textile mills, wood and paper, glass and glass products, chemical products, medical and pharmaceutical products, plastics and rubber, primary and fabricated metal products, and automotive and heavy equipment. Um, you know, this is just not something you would want next to where your three-year-old daughter goes to, you know, goes to daycare every day. It's not something you'd want next to your school. It's not next to something you'd want next to your home. Um, and I think a lot of this neighborhood was built way before we really understood the environmental impacts of this, right? Um, and, you know, and, and frankly, it's, you know, not all the business's fault. Some, some of the housing was built after the, you know, industry came in, right? But, um, you know, I think now we know better, and it's, it's 2023, and, and if we were to plan our city today, we would never do this, right? Um, and I think, unfortunately, sometimes there's the there's just the tyranny of inertia, right? We do something because we've done it for a very long time. And frankly, sometimes because the people who are impacted by it are not very loud and not very powerful, right? Um, you look at the survey that we did. We have seven Spanish-speaking surveys out of 2,471. That's 0.2%, right? 
there are folks who live in this neighborhood that are really just not being heard in our GPAC process as much as we did a really good job of outreach. There are just big social barriers, you know, that, that make some of this engagement not representative of the general community. Um, and so I, you know, I wanna be here to, to speak for folks that I think we're not, not always heard in the GPAC process. Um, you know, this is the city's only majority Latino neighborhood and district. Um, and I think, you know, we have unfortunately kind of had this legacy really of environmental racism in this city um, where we've kind of looked the other way and accepted things in this neighborhood that we wouldn't accept anywhere else, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm, I'm kind of open-minded to how we address it. You know, I, I, to me, if I was planning this area from square one, I would say this should all be light industrial, you know? Keep industrial can be good, it can be create good jobs for the community, um, but light industrial is what's appropriate next to, next to homes. Um, you know, I, I think that, I know that there, the reason that it, that wasn't done is because there are business interests who kind of push back on that during the GPAC process. Um, you know, what I would counter is that you, when you rezone something where there are existing, you know, businesses or homes or whatever, it doesn't cause those businesses to have to move or go away, right? Uh, unless you're, you create another policy that does that. Um, uh, you know, it grandfathers in what's there, um, but a new use, you know, has to comply with the new, new zoning. And so, you know, I do think rezoning some or all of that to light industrial would still respect the existing businesses while while preventing kind of new harmful uses coming into the neighborhood and probably over time, over a very long time, start to move some of those harmful things out to the areas like south of the 101 where we, we want heavy industrial to go. Um, I, yeah, I'm open to other ideas, but you know, I, I think that's, that's something that's important to me and I'd like to advocate for. Very good, uh, point of order, it's 10 o'clock. Uh, do we need to take a vote to extend? You're still on the same item. Um, yes. So you're not taking additional items or hearing additional items. It would okay. be at the 11 o'clock hour that you would want to okay. think about. My hope is that we can get through this section in the next half hour, 45 minutes, and then um, come back tomorrow and continue. Um, other speakers on this topic? Commissioner McCarty. So, uh, Commissioner Zucker, I, I very much appreciate your comments. And so I, I want to so clarify um, a possibility or an option or may, to put words in your mouth, is this perhaps what you're proposing? Is all of the dark gray areas are currently general industrial. So you would propose or perhaps a potential proposal would be to uh, make those light industrial. Um, for any future future transition of ownership on, the, on those parcels. Okay. Um, I would be amenable to some suggestion like that. That kind of throws a wrench into the works with respect to those areas were not discussed in a lot of, I mean, they were discussed but we don't have a proposal to change them at all on the board. So this would be a new proposal. Which the Planning Commission is able to do. Okay. I just wanna make that clear for any of the areas of discussion or even outside of the areas of discussion, the Planning Commission can make other recommendations to City Council for their consideration. Okay. So I, 
to my layman's mind, that might be an option. I'd be interested to hear of any downsides or concerns people have about uh, changing from general industrial to light industrial. Are there, are there reasons we shouldn't do that? Commissioner Busa. Um, I was just thinking about how I would respond to that because I was, I was going to the Arundel North Bank area because I think that's a big conversation around this is the transition of moving um, general industrial from the west side over into where the GPEC had identified even south of 101. Um, and I think that, you know, uh, McGrath plays a, a part of that as well. So, you know, a, a, an agreement on where we sit with McGrath would have an implication on what we do on the west side. Um, I would just say that in response to, um, to that. I, I probably want to think about it in terms of the west side in general um, as it relates to the downsizing along Stanley. Uh, that makes sense, and I appreciate your, your uh, point, Commissioner Zucker, about yes, although we had it zoned at six stories, it really, you, never, you didn't really see that. Um, and I do think it is a more appropriate use to, to have that downgraded as well um, along Olive, uh, which I used to be a resident at. I think adding the commercial, um, the changing to commercial zoning in that area on um, mid down Ventura Avenue is smart, um, considering those lots there and what they could be repurposed for and just interest that has come through um, from um, a, a retail perspective. Uh, really great to see the changes to the VUSD sites. Um, again, uh, echoing Commissioner Zucker's uh, points as well, um, as well as I agree with the, the sites um, five, six, and seven as well. So I wanted to say that. But I, in terms of back to the industrial and changing, I, I would want to have it in combination with the conversation with Arundel. Thank you. Commission Farley. Um, I don't want to repeat what the other commissioners said. I agree with the things on the screen, um, all the changes there. I think we're seeing that transition on the west side anyhow, um, and it makes sense um, in all those places that are suggested. I also want to echo that I think there is a discongruency between the old industrial uses on that end of town and the high level of residential that's starting to um, start coming in. Um, there, there's a high density. There's a lot of children that walk to school. Um, you've probably got some of the higher population of young children that live in this area. Um, and I think there is an incompatibility there. I would suggest if we do downzone to something that there's a very clear amortization that protects existing businesses that aren't hazardous, um, or even looking at specific use types that are allowed within the zone districts that might be carved out in this area specifically to make sure that we aren't unintentionally um, removing businesses that aren't harmful that might otherwise be classified with other large industrial uses. Um, I think that could be done through the zoning code and through policies through the general plan in the future too. Um, besides just downgrading it to a lower zoning designation because you could do that in different ways. But I do agree with you. Vice Chair, any comment? Um, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I can barely talk. But um, I, I would agree with comments, especially Commissioner Farley. Um, but I definitely agree with Commissioner Zucker that <clears throat> we that we should be looking at downgrading the heavy industrial to light industrial. Um, all the statements you made are true, and, and you know, from an environmental engineering perspective, you know, there, there's just really no way to protect our neighborhoods from a heavy industrial area without buffer. So yes, I would I would concur with you know looking towards that. Um, I agree with Commissioner Busa that I think we do have to look at it 
you know, in conjunction with other areas, but I wouldn't want that to thwart our, or at least our recommendation to downgrade, downgrade those areas. Thanks. All right. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. I had some question on, uh, let's see, number three, uh, change to commercial three stories. I'm looking at the city of intra draft land use designations and I see commercial, I see up to two stories, 30 feet. Um, is there a, another designation that's commercial three stories? Um, apologies, that should be three stories there. Commercial no. is three stories. Yeah. Okay. All right, that answers that. Um, I wanted to echo some of what uh, Commissioner Zucker said. Um, I think there's a tendency sometimes to say there are certain parts of town that we need to put the density in. And I think over the years, the West Side has certainly borne its, more than its share of uh, density. And uh, the fact that most of the avenue and uh, Olive Street in the section that's designated there was six stories never should have been. Um, so I'm so glad for the West Side to see that the GPAC and the public agrees that that problem needs to be rectified. Um, the number three, the Stanley commercial, commercial, especially at Stanley center part of uh, the avenue is definitely needed and I'm so glad that that recommendation is there. Um, for the VUSD site, um, I have a question for staff, number four, so that's the Venture Unified School District headquarters right now. Um, do we know where they're, they're going to relocate to? They, they, they just don't want to stay there and they want to take the money and, and relocate elsewhere? Um, I don't want to speak on behalf of the Ventura Unified School District, so um, I apologize to them if I'm incorrect in what I recollect them saying. I think they, they were exploring the idea of retaining their offices there and adding different uses. They wanted a mixed-use zoning district to provide the flexibility of should they keep their offices there and add additional uses that they could do so. So I don't know if they necessarily have a plan to relocate or continue to use. I don't think that's all been vetted out through their processes yet. Okay, thank you. And then also on that same site, um, have they, if in discussions with the school district or whatever you've heard come from the school district, have they talked about uh, with the change to mixed use for perhaps having housing for teachers since they're in that business and or other public servants? They are exploring that. Okay. Thank you. And eight as well. Okay. Yeah, all uh, eight. I I like what I'm seeing here. Um, as far as uh, so I can agree with all eight. How can we handle this issue with the heavy industrial? Uh, uh, should we make a proposal tonight on that? Should we uh, approve all eight and say wait till tomorrow to come back to that? Um, there hasn't been any civic engagement on that, uh, but I can't imagine the public. I guess my question would be for the commercial interests that own the property, um, you know, what would they have to say about it? And we're not taking any more public comment, but I certainly agree in full with what Commissioner Zucker said that 
having heavy industrial right next to school, E.P. Foster, uh, next to housing across from Stanley, uh, next to the south, southern portion near West Ramona Street. Um, you know, that needs to definitely be looked at. What can the city do to f facilitate that or, or, is, or, is it, or how would that be handled? Um, that is a great question, Commissioner Abbey. There's lots of different ways. Commissioner Farley um, alluded to some of them. Commissioner Zucker's recommendation is um, to redesignate them light industrial. Um, if we go down Commissioner Zucker's recommendation, you would basically be rezoning those from what we are de currently designated as general industrial to light. It would make all of the general industrial type uses on those properties legal non-conforming, meaning they could continue to operate in the fashion um, they have been, but to note that they wouldn't be able to expand beyond what they are doing right now. If that business moved out and a new business moved in, they would need to conform to the current regulations, which would be light industrial. It would allow for the current business to keep continue to operate in the fashion that they are doing as long as they would like to do. Um, the city wouldn't then come and tell them, uh, like Commissioner Zucker said, unless another policy said that these uses sunset by a certain time and then you have to relocate. Um, but then over time and years, that would transition into light industrial. Um, there could be policies framed around it um, and then it could go uh, deeper into study with, through the zoning districts and crafting different zoning districts with different industrial designations that could be applied over them. Um, so there are uh, multiple ways of approaching it. But if the Planning Commission was looking at what was before them right now in putting something into place, um, Commissioner Zucker's recommendation is, is one option and so is Commissioner Farley's. And um, right now it's currently um, zoned, the dark gray is the, without the cross hatching is general industrial three stories. So I'm assuming that Commissioner Zucker would be suggesting changing to light industrial flex three stories and not six stories. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, did you, did you want to speak again, please? Make a uh, follow-up on that to yeah yeah clarify the proposal. Yeah, my proposal would be to to, to rezone the the current general industrial on the west side to, to light industrial flex three stories, um, and and exactly as as Netta really well laid out kind of the the process of that. Um, to me, I, I do see that as a little bit of a compromise proposal. Um, you know, I want to want to kind of recognize and respect the you know the the businesses that are there and that have been there for many years and not um, you know as much as I think. You know, I would I would love to to see you know, uh, yeah, some of those those uses kind of phased out. I you know want to respect that that people are there. And I I had talked with Peter when he was you know community development director uh, several times about you know he he had a thought to you know let's let's actually amortize them out. You you actually can if you give them long enough. Require those businesses to move. You know, okay, you have you give them a 
30-year period or something like that, and you can move them to, say, south of the freeway. Um, you know, and I know there were, were some initial, you know, conversations with some of the businesses in that area. You know, as you can imagine, that, you know, generated some pushback. And I, and I think it's a, it's a reasonable compromise to say, you know, with anything new, you know, let's, let's do what we would do if we were, you know, zoning this area from the beginning and, and you know, put light industrial here. But something that's there can stay unless it, you know, moves out or, you know, something new comes in. Um, and, you know, I, I, I do, do agree, um, you know, and, and raised it earlier in the, in the questions, Commissioner Busso's point around, you know, maybe, maybe that McGrath property, if we were to, to, you know, have that as heavy or general industrial, that would be, provide some space for any new, you know, heavy industrial businesses that wanted to, you know, open or expand in the city um, to make sure that options available but you know I, I think it's a it's a balanced proposal and that that would be my my proposal to accept the the GPAC uh, recommendations with you know one significant change um, you know to, to rezone that area to to lead industrial and I think in terms of engagement of of the businesses there you know it doesn't stop with us this goes to the City Council and so you know I fully expect that you know, those businesses will will turn out and you know have their say there and you know it may be that you know they they are persuasive to the city council and you know this idea is, is dropped completely but I think it's worth worth at least considering it. and I'd, I'd love for us as the planning commission to recommend it to council. My comment is I agree with what you said uh, respecting the legacy that uh, the city's oldest community the west side uh, had a mix of residential and uh, heavy uh, manufacturing uh, we can do better moving into the future we have the ability to um, to do better and uh, make our citizenry feel like they're, you know, in a safe, um, pollution-free environment. This also may um, cause uh, the council to look at what to do with the brownfields further up the avenue, which is a more amenable uh, location to put some heavy industry. Um, it's an important component of what we have in the city, but I don't think it needs to be next to schools and, and homes. So I'm, I'm on, on that program as well. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. Yes. Yeah, Commissioner Abbey, I think your mic is not on. I'm sorry. Okay, thank you. I wanted to ask a question of Commissioner Zucker. Um, how much of that dark gray are you wanting to turn light gray? All of it or portions? I guess I would propose all of it unless somebody has, has objections to any particular pieces of it. Thank you. Again, we're, we're not talking about forcing anyone to leave. Legacy businesses will be allowed to exist, just not expand. Um, and we can find solutions for where those businesses are better situated in the future. So with that, any other, uh, Commissioner McCarty? So, Commissioner Zucker, um, you kind of indirectly made a motion to accept all of the changes proposed by the GPAC, and additionally to uh, change all of the general industrial three-story to light industrial three-story. Um, was that a motion? I'll make it a motion right now. Uh, so move to uh, accept the GPAC recommendations with the change of general industrial zoning to, to light industrial flex three-story. Do we have a second for that? I'll second that. 
Commissioner McCarty seconds. Let's take a vote, please. Any further discussion? No? All right. Commissioner Abbey? Yes. Commissioner Busa? Yes. Commissioner Farley? Yes. Commissioner McCarty? Yes. Commissioner Zucker? Yes. Vice Chair Lockerquist? Yes. Chair Comden? Yes. That motion carries. Very good. So, four down. Um, where shall we go to from here? Staff, any recommendations? Do you, if you would like to continue, I would recommend Midtown. If you'd like to call it a night, we can pick up tomorrow. Or, or another era that there was the smallest amount of changes on Midtown, which is why, I, and Pierpont. I'd like to suggest, since we're here, let's do one more. And if 11 o'clock approaches, we can continue from there. Are we in general agreement with that? Okay, let's do. Let's go to Midtown. All right. Anyone wish to begin the discussion? Commissioner McCarty, thank you. Yes, um, I'd like to say that I agree with a number of our public speakers tonight. Uh, uh, Lynn Rollins, Christy Weir, Mark Sirota, Bianca Bada, and Marianne, whose last name I unfortunately didn't catch, um, who all were in favor of retaining the mixed-use three instead of mixed-use four in the Midtown corridors. Uh, that, that received very low uh, acceptance by the public, and I think that was reiterated tonight uh, it, with the public speakers. Um, so my suggestion, uh, my suggestion would be not to make the proposed change in the Midtown corridors as, as proposed. Thank you, Commissioner. Commissioner Busa. Uh, I struggled. I struggle with this um, piece right here. I, I, I almost look at Maine and Thompson a little differently. Um, I, I think there's a little bit of character on Maine that I would personally like to see preserved and, and not change, where I think there is a little bit different transition in that part of Thompson um, as it you know, once was a, a highway corridor going towards um, our five points um, intersection. And so, but respect in here from the community and from public comments as well that we've received. Um, my, my initial thought was not to accept the, the change on Maine, but to accept it on Thompson um, also understanding that where we don't accept, um, where, where we downgrade, where we were going to upgrade, we're, I would assume that we're going to have to make, find somewhere else to go up, right? Because we're going to have a net loss then. So um, I'm trying to minimize the net loss. And so that was my thought was not to take the main street, um, but uh, allow it on Thompson, but open for 
hearing what the other commissioners say. Commissioner Farley, any thoughts on this? You got me before I hit the button. Um, I think my concern is not necessarily the overall change. It's where the connectivity of those parcels touch um, largely single-family homes that are abutting those properties um, and changing them to four stories um, over three stories. I think it's dramatic. Some of the public speakers were talking about it maybe for a different section. Um, but I think that that is something to be con concerned about. Um, and maybe that can be done or handled better with step backs or some sort of um, setback requirements that there needs to be parking on those sides or there needs to be yards on those sides. Um, but that definitely is a concern for me, specifically not because of those main corridors. I think those corridors can handle it, um, but it's where they abut the residential neighborhoods on either side. That's my concern. All right. Very good. Commissioner Zecker, thoughts on this? Sure. Um, you know, I, I think I'm I'm actually open to to the GPAC recommendation on this. Um, you know, I, I we are going to have to build new housing somewhere, right? Um, and you know, it, it we I don't know how much wiggle room we have with the the no net loss here, but ultimately, you know, we're going to go through another arena cycle. We're going to be, you know, required to to zone for new new housing development. And I I thought. Netta's point was compelling um, earlier in the discussion about how, you know, if we, when we wait till the next arena cycle, there's no, or there's very little opportunity to get public engagement when the state just tells us you got to get this many units and you got to figure it out within six months, right? Um, whereas right now we have this whole community engagement we've done and nobody likes adding more, you know, density in their neighborhood, or I shouldn't say nobody, but it, it tends to be somewhat unpopular, um, you know, but at, at the very least, I think we've done a little bit more of a comprehensive look, um, you know, at all the all the places in the city, um, you know, and I, I do think in, in some ways, Midtown is, is, a, is a logical place for it. I mean, I think there's relatively strong kind of transit, walk and bike infrastructure there for, you know, um, for at least some of the, the minimal use of just cars and sprawl. Um, there's a lot of some of our biggest job centers like the hospitals, you know, and the, the kind of wellness, wellness district as well as the, the mall are right there. Um, you know, I, I uh, you know, I tend to feel like this is, this is where we, we have, you know, um, planned for as a, you know, as one of the, maybe the better places in the, in the city to add housing and, I think it's tough choices we make on the general plan, um, but if I don't think it's a huge jump from three to four, you know, um, and I think it, it somewhat evens out with some of the, the drop down from, you know, the much larger like six story that we had on Victoria and Ventura Avenue that we're, we're dropping down. Um, so, you know, that's, that's my overall feeling on it. I, you know, um, I'm, I'm flexible to hearing what, what other commissioners you know, think here, but um, yeah, just just want to make sure that we we just recognize the hard choices we've got to make. And I, I think if if we've got, I'd love to see like if we have real better ideas for it would be better to add the density here than here, you know, um, versus kind of just like ah, this is tough, and you know, we're we've got public pushback on it. Vice Chair. Um, I, I think as many others, I really struggled with this area. Um, <clears throat> I, I, 
I, you know, it's so difficult because, you know, we do have, you know, some numbers and goals that we have to meet and, and, but it's hard to assign that to one community, especially as much, um, community feedback as we've gotten on this area. Uh, you know, I definitely hear that and, and it's, uh, it's just very much a struggle. I would say that, you know, of, of this corridor, that east end is probably the best place for it. I mean, on the <clears throat> towards the east part, we already have the hospital and, and some things like that. So, oh, in the end, I would probably agree with it, but I definitely agree with Commissioner Farley that we've, we've got to have some setbacks and, and some, you know, gradient from those buildings to the, the surrounding residential communities to kind of uh, buffer that impact to those houses. So. It's, this is a very difficult one. All right. Uh, Commissioner Abbey. Yeah, I uh, listened to Bianca Bada. She lives on, she said she lived on the north side of Main Street on Lexington. Uh, so let me see, Lexington. So we're talking Main Street. Okay, so those, uh, yes, thank you. Those business uh, uh, lots are only one lot deep on the north side. And the north side of the street is um, particularly a problem because the sun's, because uh, it's on the north side. So especially on December 21st when the sun is low in the sky, that will definitely cast uh, shadows. So I would say definitely no on the north side of Main Street. Um, and also, I just want you to consider, I would imagine my fellow commissioners have all been to the intersection of Johnson Drive and North Bank, and have seen the Willows Project go up. And just imagine the scale of that being right behind your house. So just let that soak in for a moment. Um, and it creates a big wall. So I, I have no problem with three stories. I struggle with four stories on Main. Uh, for the same reasons on Thompson, it's only uh, on the north side, it's only one lot deep. It's not that deep. And so we've got a problem trying to step down from a four story. Even if you step down, you still have a four story. Uh, um, the, the only possibility I see of d doing anything there is on the south side of Thompson, where there's lots, some lots are deep, uh, but it's, it's one lot, but it's deep. And then there's on the left, and then there's sort of two tandem lots, if you want to say, north and south of each other. I could perhaps, if we were really pushing units, could see maybe on specific parcels where there's not um, lots directly adjacent to housing. I would say three-story on the lots if there's two lots north, running north-south, maybe three-story also um, tapering down to two-story, 
so part of me says just make it all three-story and leave it as it is. If we're really trying to find units, I can see where we could try to find some on the south side of uh, Thompson. So I'd be open to di discussing that further if there's any interest. Commissioner McCarty. So um, earlier, uh, Commissioner Busa had, had mentioned about needing to upgrade somewhere else if we downgrade here, and Commissioner Zucker uh, expressed some um, uncertainty about the amount of wiggle room we have. Um, so I think, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly, our wiggle room has actually been already quantified. Doesn't the overall plan increase our capacity by 1,800 uh, for the... For the uh, yeah, there, there is some wiggle room. Um, you know, again, that's a, if you're keeping it, we're at the capacity that the city is now. So you can't below, go below exactly. that. Exactly. So, um, so there is a little bit of wiggle room. And, and I, I, to be honest, don't know if you change all of this to three stories, what, how much of that 1800 goes away. I, I don't have an answer to that um, now. I can try and calculate it for tomorrow, um, but okay. I don't have it now. Okay. But, but you did also say you, uh, you'll, you'll have a gut feel, and um, perhaps you'll let us know if, if uh, do you have any gut feel now, re re retaining these as three my, stories? My gut fell asleep half an hour ago. <laughs> um, I, I, seriously, I can, um, you know, I can calculate, we can probably calculate this tomorrow and, and tell you. My, my gut is that you could probably change this down to three and it would still be okay. Um, but, you know, that then has effects of what you do elsewhere. Exactly. Um, yeah. But, you know, I mean, if that's the decision to do that, we'll go back and tomorrow uh, and just come back to you with that. I mean, okay. Do that. Okay. You know, you're much more of an expert on this than I am, but looking at that, uh, that amount of that number of parcels, I, I can't see one story on all of those there containing 1,800 units. But, but I don't know, I'll leave that, I'll leave that to you. So um, anyway, that was just my comment on that. I, I'm not too nervous about numbers by, by leaving this at three stories instead of four. Okay. Um, Roughly 20, 22 years ago, there was discussion about the canyonization of uh, Midtown. Um, it hasn't happened over the past 20 years, but that doesn't mean it won't happen moving forward. Uh, it's pretty clear by the uh, consensus of the community, that 31% and 22% approval rate, that they really don't want this to happen. And it is, the, you know, it's refreshing to have a, a nice open space there. Uh, I do agree with Commissioner Busa that Thompson is a different beast at, at uh, two level, uh, two, two lanes each, each way. It used to be a, a highway before um, the 101 came through, whereas um, Main Street is one lane directional. Um, so I would be amenable to uh, splitting, doing the lower portion at the four. I'm also open to uh, leaving it at, at uh, three stories. Um, so that's where I stand on it. Commissioner McCarty. Um, given uh, Mr. Ramey's comments just a second ago about um, reaching the end of the line here and also perhaps being able to give us some numbers 
tomorrow, um, I, I would propose we can perhaps knock off here and await for a little bit more information about this and, and pick up right where we started tomorrow with this, Very if that's amenable to everybody. Okay, I think we're all in agreement. Excellent, that's a good uh, stop point. Thank you. So with that. Chair, could we have a vote on that, please? Uh, vote on the continuance? This way, okay, very good. We're voting to continue this particular item tomorrow. Uh, second. Uh, do we have a second on that? Can I just chime in? We're voting to continue the item tomorrow without additional public comment. Correct. Okay. To a date determined tomorrow the 20 third at 6 p.m. We have a second? I second it. Okay, Commissioner Abbey, please take a vote. Commissioner Abbey? Yes. Commissioner Busa? Yes. Commissioner Farley? Yes. Commissioner McCarthy? Yes. Commissioner Zucker? Yes. Vice Chair Lagerquist? Yes. Chair Comden? Yes. That motion carries. Thank you. Uh, with that, we are adjourned, and I'll see everyone tomorrow. Thank you, everyone. Bye-bye.